This episode of Behind the Bots is brought to you by FingerTech Robotics, North America's top manufacturer of combat robotics parts. If you're interested in building your first combat robot, check out FingerTech's Viper Kit, which includes everything you need to build a fully functional, competitive ant weight. FingerTech also carries a complete line of wheels, hubs, motors, and other components if you want to build a bot from the ground up. Check them out online at www.fingertechrobotics.com. From the position of 33rd seed, this is Behind the Bots, the podcast that should have just tried a little bit harder to bring you the stories of the builders behind BattleBots. I'm Chris. I'm Luke. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Kyle. And today on the podcast, our interview with Sawblaze Captain Jameson Go. We'll wrap up the show with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. If you like our show, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, CastBox, Player FM, and Podbean. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at BehindTheBots. And if you like what you hear, tell a friend. We really appreciate your support. Before we get into the show, I want to remind you that this month we're giving away a brand new Viper Combat Robotics Kit with the Vertical Spinner add-on from our sponsor, FingerTech Robotics. FingerTech has upgraded both its vertical and horizontal spinner attachments, The vertical spinner now features a clamping drum design made with AR400 teeth, and the horizontal spinner now comes with a titanium blade and stronger weapon mount. Both spinners are now powered by a custom brushless weapon motor with 4mm shaft. Check out details about how to enter on our Facebook page and get your entries in by the end of this month. Time now for yet another round of Snap Decisions, where we make ill-informed predictions about this week's matches and score them against your ill-informed predictions. Last week, we had 42 people participate in Snap Decisions. Five of us managed to call seven out of seven fights correctly. Those were Jared Lacombe, Bryce Thomas, Kevin Sporka, Spencer Sahu, and two-time winner, Sammy Bendali. Send us your mailing addresses, and we'll put some stickers in the mail. Taking a closer look at the data, the sure shots last week were Sablaze versus Rusty and Beta versus Grabot with 42 out of 42 people correctly predicting that Sablaze and Beta would win. The biggest upset was Uppercut versus Hydra, with only 18 people predicting that Hydra would win. This week kicks off the 2020 BattleBots World Championship, so uh, especially for these these early rounds, uh, you kind of know who's going to win. Um, so I was thinking maybe we would switch the format of Snap Decisions, and I wanted to run this by you. I'm thinking maybe this week we ask people to send in a fully filled out bracket all the way up to the finals and the giant nut winner. And if somebody can correctly predict the entire bracket, they win something bigger than stickers. What are your thoughts, Chris, Kyle, and Lindsay? What's our appetite for sending us something out bigger than stickers? Uh, I like this plan. Okay. Uh, Can we send out the neon hypershock sign? (laughs) (laughs) what's our budget Lindsay? what's our budget um i was thinking well i don't know like maybe maybe like a piece of battlebot store merch of their choice or maybe hexbugs kit what do you what do you think is appropriately large for calling the entire bracket Mm, i think a hexbug kit would be cool 
a free trip uh, with me to Vegas. Oh, oh, Chris. Someone might not survive that. All right. <laughs> I think I think maybe maybe we'll do a hex bug kit and maybe we'll we'll limit it to three winners. So if we get five or six, we'll we'll just draw randomly. Um, okay, so this week, uh, check for our bracket list on Facebook and send in your completed brackets. On a related topic, if you want to post your graph your uh, bracket onto the official BattleBots Facebook group, please put it in the official bracket post, uh, which is Matt's Burke posted. It's pinned to the top. Just just put it in there instead of trying to fill up the group with brackets, which seems to be the flash mob of. BattleBots fans' plans for the past two weeks, but yeah, let's avoid that. I mean, you don't think that that's high quality content? Uh, <laughs> I think once, one time, it's fine, but then, you know, you try to scroll through the BattleBots group and it's just all brackets. Hundreds of randos sending in their brackets. Hundreds uh, of randos <laughs> sending in their brackets, yes. That's pretty much all it is. And sometimes you see like a builder throw in their bracket and you're like, bro, you were, what are you talking about? Like, you can't put your, like, come on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> your brackets. It's like you really want me to, to click on your photo and then have to zoom in to see your handwriting. I Oh I know anything of that. No, it's not cool. However, <laughs> I do promise you if you send us photos of, of your brackets to our page, I will zoom in and I will faithfully record your entire brackets. So that's true. <laughs> no Matt, unless your handwriting is too bad and then we will call you and figure out what you were trying to get across. <laughs> Um, all right, let's uh, run through this week's round of 32 matches. I can't wait to hear your predictions. Um, all I know is that these eight matches are going to happen. I don't know what, in what order because they haven't released the, um, the list yet to supporters. So we're just going to go out of order, um, and I would love to get your predictions here. All right, are you, are you prepared? So prepared. Okay. Uh, Kyle, our first match the number one seed Hydra versus the number 32 seed Hypershock. This is going to be a great match. What a silly seed. You know what I mean? Like um, Hypershock versus Hydra. Like that, that seems like it would be a main event during the regular season. That does not mm -hmm. seem like the normal squash match that you get uh, at the beginning of the tournament tournament with the number one seed versus the number 32 seed. Um, yeah, this could go either way, and I'm going to go ahead and call it for Hydra. Hydra, okay. Um, but listen, Will Bales has actually got a, got his robot working pretty well here at the end. Uh, the only reason I'm giving this one to Hydra is because the self-writer on Hypershock has yet to show itself to be in any way operational. You definitely need that working for a, for a match against Jake Ewers. Yeah. Um, all right, Chris, your prediction for this match. My suggestions for the fans out there, get your QR code scanners ready. <laughs> We're going to be seeing a whole lot of the bottom of Hypershock for the first 45 seconds of this match. Uh, so are you going to go with Hydra? Yes. Okay, Lindsay. I um, do hope that Will Bales does have the self-writing mechanism working because obviously that will make for a more entertaining and longer match ultimately though i do think i do think hydra has the advantage uh as sad as i am to say it and i will also go with hydra okay i want to make an three. outside prediction real quick okay jake did reveal 
that he was going to use the uh, bike rack at some other point in this show. So my outside prediction is that he makes a rake attachment <laughs> to put on Hydra just as a joke, just for mm-hmm. funsies, just, I love to be, just to be silly. Uh, that is what I think is going to happen, and I will be delighted if it does. Me too. Me too. All right, on, a, on over to a match that's a little bit harder to call. Malice at the 16 seed versus Gigabyte at the 17 seed. Kyle, your prediction. Man, this is going to be so much fun. What a great fight. Um, it is really hard to determine who's going to win the physics of this. What would you use if you were Malice going up against... Hmm. I'm going to go ahead and give this one to Malice because I think they're going to have a little bit better spin-up time. And they have already shown that they are able to dish out really big hits um, in a very short amount of time with that bot. So I'm going to give this one to Malice, and I'll bet they put like 25 bolts on the bottom of that thing so it uh, doesn't do the thing in this fight. How about you, Chris? This is uh, kind of tough to see play out. Um... I don't really see either bot having a particular advantage in this. I, I do think that head-to-head, um, we probably see a little bit more weight in in the full body shell of Gigabyte, but Malice mm-hmm. is able to kind of control uh, itself a bit better than Gigabyte, so it's really kind of a, toy, uh, uh, a coin toss for me. I would, I would say that given that it has a little bit more control and has the ability to maybe flick Gigabyte around a bit into the box, I would give this one to Malice. Malice. Lindsay, your prediction. I'm also going to give this one to Malice. I can't speak a lot to the physics of it, but I, uh, I just see it going Malice's way. Okay. Um, I, I also like, this is a tough one to call because if you imagine, um, gigabyte shell spinning in one direction and malice's drum spinning in the same direction, um, you know, if, if those two weapons make contact and they will make contact, you've got to wonder, you know, like what that does to the physics of malice, if they decide, and I can't imagine they would, to run it counterclockwise so that every single time they're they're making a connection with one of Gigabyte's teeth, it's just this huge just shock load dumped into both robots. I don't know if Malice could survive that. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to go uh, Gigabyte. Okay. On over to a rematch of two much-beloved bots. Kyle, your prediction for number eight Whiplash versus number 25 Huge. This is going to be so much fun. Um, This is so hard to call. I think it is going to go to Whiplash just because they can reach out and touch Huge. Um, And Whiplash is really dialed in at this point, and it seems like Huge has really been struggling this season. Mm. Um, So that is why I'm calling this one for Whiplash. I wouldn't be disappointed if it went the other way, though. I love both these teams. Yeah. Chris, Lindsay? 
This one's a tough one for me. I, I really want to see Huge pull it off. They had a really rough uh, season thus far, and they could they could use it. But we've seen incredible driving from Matty Vasquez, and and Whiplash has been performing really well. Um, it's it's really hard to bet against them right now, and I'll 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 probably side with with Whiplash in this one. Okay, Lindsay, your thoughts. Um, I do. I am also going to go with Whiplash. I don't think that Huge is going to be able to outdrive such a nimble, blo uh, nimble bot like Whiplash. Um, I think that Huge will be able to do some damage to, to Whiplash, but I think ultimately uh, a lot of the aggression and control points are going to go to Whiplash, and that will put them over the edge. Okay, clean sweep. I will also go with Whiplash. All right, Kyle, uh, flying through these next couple ones, Valkyrie versus Sub-Zero, the number nine undercutter versus the number 24 much improved flipper from Texas. Your thoughts on this match? This is actually a really rough match for Valkyrie just because I know Sub-Zero's got a lot of front-end armor, and I also know that Valkyrie does not like to be flipped upside down. Uh, that said, that spinner does not quit. That team is dialed in, and that armor is ridiculous. And I don't see a few flips from Sub-Zero stopping that spinner at any point or any wedge Sub-Zero can put on stopping that spinner at any point. So I'm going to give it to them just on the points. Um, I don't think this is going to be a knockout. I think this is going to go all three minutes, though. Hmm. Chris, Lindsay, will you be sticking with your IBM brother in Logan Davis, or uh, is this the end of the road for uh, for your uh, for for Logan and uh, his season? Well, I mean, I would I would join Team Sub Zero if I could. Uh, yeah. That's that's how much I like them. Yeah. Uh, that, that that said, you know, Valkyrie that's a tough opponent for for a bot. Uh, you know, like Sub Zero. There's a whole lot of bot there for uh, for you know, Valkyrie to get its, uh, its teeth into. And, you know, I, I could imagine a couple of head to head, uh, bashes with Sub-Zero's, you know, front plate, but, you know, eventually I think Valkyrie is going to kind of win that war of attrition with, with Sub-Zero and eventually get around to the side of it. And, and that's really going to be it for, for Logan and Sub-Zero. Mm -hmm. Lindsay, your thoughts. I can see the reach of Valkyrie's weapon kind of hitting Sub-Zero before they are able to make the contact to actually flip them. So I think it's going to ultimately go Valkyrie, but I think it'll be a really, really fun one. I'm going to go uh, also with Valkyrie for the exact same reason, Lindsay. I think it's really difficult to land a hit, uh, a flip on a super fast weapon. Uh, like Sweet Caroline or Dr. Teeth. Um, and for those reasons, I, I and it, all it takes is your flipper arm resetting at just the wrong time to absolutely lose that weapon where Valkyrie um, can can just keep keep going. I think, I think maybe the one saving grace would be if Logan Davis was able to build a special plow on the front of his robot to try and stop Valkyrie. Um, but that's a pretty tall order, so I'm going to go with Valkyrie. All right, on over to Uppercut at number four versus Hijinks at number 29. Kyle, your prediction. This is a really rough matchup for Uppercut. Um, mm -hmm. It's interesting. This bot has been so dominant 
and they are now seated up against a bot that I'm not even sure they can touch. Um, the reach on hijinks is just so scary. And I think in a weapon-to-weapon -weapon contact, even if they get the box rush on real well, it's going to be tough for Uppercut to, to win at this match. Plus, they got those two big, juicy wheels. Yeah, man, I'm going to give this one to hijinks. Uh, not, nothing against the Uppercut team here, but the, the rock, paper, scissors of this does not bode well for them. All right, our first potential upset. Chris, Lindsay, your thoughts? Uppercut versus hijinks? I'm going to go the other way. I think, um, Kyle, you're definitely right. Hijinks has kind of the tactical advantage here in reach. That is if Uppercut lets it continue to spin up after the first time that they kind of um, they kind of clash together. If, Hupper, if Uppercut can remain, uh, you know, consistently aggressive, staying on top of Hijinks, I think eventually it's going to use that front dustpan to scoop up uh, parts of hijinks and bring it up to uh, up to the fister, and um, that's that's gonna be see you later. Did, did you just call their weapon the fister? I believe I did call it the fister. I think that that this is a family podcast. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> you can uh, call Kyle Mister Fister, everyone. <laughs> uh. Lindsay, are you going to be going with the uh, super long undercutter in hijinks or the fister of uppercut? <laughs> oh boy. Um, I am. So this one is a very tricky one. I'm going to go with uppercut because I think if that weapon of theirs can make contact with hijinks's weapon, even if it's going at, you know, if, even if it's spun up, I think they'll still be able to kind of, um, bop them around and like and throw them a little bit like maybe uh, like we've seen uh with uppercut and gemini fister them yeah i think they'll be able to fist them through the air uh sorry <laughs> an uppercut is a kind of punch we have a word for this it's a mm, i don't know if it's the right word though kyle I oh god <laughs> Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna join join my uh, my fisting co-hosts here with uh, with Uppercut. All right, uh, on over to Beta versus Ribot Kyle, number thirteen versus number twenty seed. Your thoughts on this match? This is uh, a very strange matchup. Um, yeah, I have no idea what Ribot's gonna bring to the table here. Right. They likely will bring. Um, the vertical spinner because uh, they've seen what horizontals don't do to beta um because of the nature of ribot's weapon i do think we're going to actually see beta fire off a few hammer hits and uh we're probably going to see a cracked frog mm. um and that'll be fun I think this one will go to beta but uh, that that's not a guarantee by any means. Okay, Bita. Chris, your prediction? Kyle, one thing that Ribot would probably like to bring to this match is about 10 inches of dense uh, of polyfoam in the shape <laughs> of a frog head on top of it. <laughs> if only that were legal. If only that were legal these days. Uh, you know, this is, um, this is, uh, this is going to be a great match. I think, you know, Beta has that kind of spectacular 
wedge, at, you know, in the front that it that it uses to scoop and keep bots at bay. Is it going to do that for Ribot? What what's everyone's thoughts at least for the configuration that they're going to bring? Do you think that we're going to see undercover Ribot or are we going to see uh, vertical spinner Ribot? Hmm. I think it's going to be vert. Yeah, I I was thinking vert, but I can also kind of see undercutter like trying to get underneath beta. Get underneath the bot that can magnetize to the floor. Well, it only magnetizes when when it's firing the hammer, and who the heck knows if John Reed's going to do that? Hmm. They didn't the last time they needed it, but um, yeah, fair enough. I I don't think the under. I mean, we've seen that wedge is perfect for uh, horizontal blades. I just yeah. don't see them using the undercutter. Yeah, probably I mean, vertical. Yeah, if they're if they're going to go with the vertical configuration. Ribot has no excuses but to go like no holds bar, you know, aggression, aggression, aggression. I I I hope to see that, you know, we've seen already this season that that Beta's weapon is vulnerable uh, to uh, atta attacks, and you know, I I think that if they if they do end up firing and they misfire, that this is going to um, end up being Ribot's match because they'll have the remainder of the time to uh you know continue working them and that's um that's what i'm gonna i'm gonna go with ribot okay Lindsay, your thoughts on this match uh, i think that ultimately that plow that wedge on beta will protect them from a lot of what ribot would be able to inflict on them i think the question becomes damage because we've seen that Beta is very reluctant to be aggressive with that hammer. They wait for the right, you know, the, the right hit, the right time. Um, and so I, I do wonder if Ribot is at least like making um, like headway using their weapon on Beta like that might be favored more in the aggression uh, and in the damage category. So I went into this thinking I was going to say beta, but I'm almost changing my mind in real time to say ribot. Um, it's hard, right? Because we haven't really seen beta's uh, vulnerabilities during this season because they've had, shall we say an easier for the most part, uh, strength of schedule. We did see Rotator go crazy on it. Um, but I, it, so it's hard to know exactly what its vulnerabilities are. Um, I'm still, I'm still going <laughs> to say Ribot, but I, I do think that they, that was my first thought too, Chris, was like, I bet they wish that they had their uh, polyfoam topper. <laughs> Um, good thoughts. I am going to join Kyle with Beta. So this is a true split snap decision for us. All right, on over to Black Dragon versus Slamo. Kyle, your prediction. This is going to be a fun match. Um, I think that both robots are going to do very, very well, but I just cannot see uh, Black Dragon coming out of this the loser. Um, I hope that we get a good suplex out of this match, because I always hope there's a good suplex in a match. I mean, let's be honest. Uh, but I, I think this one's going to go to Black Dragon. Okay. Chris, Lindsay? This fight's going to be hot, hot, hot. Black Dragon. Okay. Lindsay? 
Uh, I, too, am going with Black Dragon, uh, but I do hope we get to see a sweet suplex. Is this Craig Danby's first time uh, in, in, you know, the championship tournament? Yes. Yes, it is. Good for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I am going to wish uh, Craig the best of luck. I think that we we may see um, a kind of similar configuration to Witch Doctor um, and uh, kind of like that that long single fork come out to try and get underneath Black Dragon, but it's hard to to bet against such a high kinetic energy weapon, especially when there are some juicy pieces on um, Slamo as we saw in, in the Witch Doctor match. So I'm going to also go with Black Dragon. All right, and finally, Kyle, Mad Catter versus Tombstone. Two great drivers in this both California bots. Mad Catter comes in at the number 12 seed in Tombstone. Ray Billings comes in at the 21 seed. Your thoughts here. Will we see an upset? Is this the end of Calvin Eba's season? Um, or is Ray Billings going home, driving home in his pickup truck uh, with uh, Tombstone just tossed in the back? Hard one to call, right? Um, Mad Catter has been on a tear. We know they have configurations built for Tombstone. Who doesn't, right? Um, and we know this team is definitely smart enough to build a configuration for Tombstone that is effective. Oof, this is a tough one to call. Uh, but since I am uh, having to make a decision, I'm going to call it for Tombstone. Tombstone, okay. Chris. I think I think that Ray's just, you know, it's do or die time for Ray. He's had a rough season. Um, he's always out for the nut. And I don't think he's going to make any mistakes. I don't think he's going to let Mad Catter do all of the tricks they're going to do to try to beat him. Okay. Chris, Lindsay, your prediction here. I'm going to make a wild assessment. And I'm going to say that the higher seed is going to beat the lower seed. Um, Mad Catter has had a great season. I have a feeling that this match is really going to come down to the initial box rush. Um, if Mad Catter is able to bring that really oppressive aggression to this fight, I don't think that he's going to give uh, Tombstone the opportunity to um, to start, you know, whittling away at Mad Catter. Uh, so I'm going to say I'm going to say Mad Catter wins this in the first uh, in the first two minutes. Wow. Okay, Lindsay, your your thoughts. So this is something that I've I've really been thinking about all day, and I've go, been going back and forth on my my brain about. Um, but I am ultimately going to choose Mad Catter, uh, which you know you, you think about it, and even though they are seated, they're given a better seed. It's still going to feel like an upset if they win, despite Tombstone being uh, you know seated way way higher than them. Um, but I, I think that probably Calvin Eba has been training for this and thinking about this. And the rest of the team under Martin Mason have really, I imagine, have given this a lot of thought. And I think ultimately they're going to be able to pull it out. I, uh, I think I'm going to join Kyle with Tombstone. Um, and I can't really tell you why. I, I think that this is going to be one of the, it is one of the hardest matches to call. I, I can see paths to victory from, from both bots. This feels like Calvin Iba's biggest driving test to date. He's a fantastic driver. But I just think that Tombstone's reliability is going to, to and just kind of the simplicity of that bot 
is going to win out. Um, it's also going to depend on the the configuration the Mad Catter comes out with. I really don't know, um, but uh, I, I would say it's it's. I'm, I'm going to give the edge to uh, to Tombstone here. All right. Uh, if you'd like to send us in your complete brackets, uh, watch for our Facebook page. I'm going to try and put it up on Tuesday, so hopefully by the time this episode comes out, you'll be able to uh, to send us in your complete bracket. Time for this week's combat robotics news. I have five news items for you today. First up, if you are participating in Brent Von Kalamazoo's BattleBots Fantasy League, he'd like you to know that he's organizing a brand new fantasy bracket for the championship. We'll include a link to the latest fantasy league in this week's show notes. Brent shared some data from the Fight Night League that suggests that fans overestimated the performance of Slapbox, Deadlift, and Rampage while underestimating Ribot, Malice, and Shatter. On over to the wonderful world of Minibots and the delightful little baby snake bots from Team Copperhead. The team is out with a brand new video this week showing how you can DIY your own snake-themed Minibots for somewhere between $60 and $80 each. Check out details on the team's Facebook page. Let's head on over to Maryland, where a mammoth captain and friend of the pod, Ricky Willems, is launching a new YouTube series called Mammoth Ranch that apparently mixes combat robots and firearms. The team published a teaser video on Facebook. The show's first episode drops on February 26th. And finally, if you caught the QR code on the bottom of Hypershock last week and are dying to know where it goes, you are in luck. It points to a secret page on Hypershock's website where you can buy the team's top secret line of merchandise. I, um, I'm personally pretty picky about my BattleBots merch, and I can confirm that the new secret line of merch is fire, if uh, that is something that the kids are still saying. Uh, I personally spent $175 this week on the Season 5 Hypershock jacket, an inexplicably expensive tie-dye hoodie that I can't live without, and the team's latest sticker pack. However... I have sad news, at least personally. I don't know. It's probably not sad for you guys. But uh, the item I really wanted to buy was the six-foot-long replica of the Hypershock neon sign, which is currently going for just $3,000. I love the sign. I want the sign. I can afford the sign. But alas, my girlfriend and I got a joint bank account this year and agreed not to buy super big-ticket items without consulting the other person first. And sadly, Jackie has put her little foot down and refused to allow a six-foot-long replica of the Hypershock neon sign in our home, which I respect because this is love, and love sometimes means sacrifice. Um, also, just totally unrelated, um, inside of that same secret merch store, Will Bales is selling a complete replica hypershock for $70,000 if the neon sign is uh, just not extravagant enough for you. Does that uh, count as a big ticket item, Luke? Because maybe Jackie would be fine with that. I didn't ask her about it. Um, I think that, that I think of that more as like an investment in our future. So maybe she'd be okay with that. It could be like a, a friend for Dexter. Um, Chris, Lindsay, uh, you, you know Jackie very well. Uh, is there any budging, do you think? Is there some kind of uh, argument that I can make that would uh, sway her? Um, this is a tough one, Luke, uh, because the, the challenge is you have to really think about where the real estate of a six-foot Hypershock sign will go next to your uh, gigantic buffalo head uh, <laughs> in your office. And the neon Taco Bell sign. And a... And a, and a full-sized store uh, Taco Bell sign. 
And your giant stuffed giraffe. And that marlin thing that you have? It's a tuna. How dare you? Uh, and do you have a gorilla? Uh, yeah, I've got a gorilla. I have a surfboard. Um, it just, just sounds like I'm a hoarder, you guys. I just want to check on something here. Luke, did you catch that tuna? Um, no, no, I, I purchased it on. on did you eBay. shoot the giraffe? Um, well, no, it's a. Did you shoot the gorilla? Uh, no, definitely. Did you no. shoot the buffalo? No, no, did Why not. Why do you shoot. have other people's taxidermy up on your wall? Okay, all right, Kyle. The, all right, <laughs> please don't taxidermy shame me. Okay, <laughs> I don't have a. I don't have like a stuffed taxidermy gorilla. What kind of <laughs> psychopath do you think I am? I have I have a cardboard cutout of a gorilla, and the giraffe is like a four foot tall like stuffed animal all right well it's... we all know you did shoot the taco bell so <laughs> <laughs> all right luke i have an idea for you okay all right so Jackie has a problem with big ticket items so you yeah. have this six foot long replica hypershock sign yeah ask jacqueline all right if i can't get the six foot long replica of uh, you know the hypershock neon sign can i get something half as big when she mm -hmm. agrees you get the seventy thousand dollar hypershock that's only three feet <laughs> oh <laughs> That's good semantics. That's good. Okay, she'll she'll definitely not break up with me if I do that, Chris. She also she didn't forbid you from bringing it into the house. She just forbid bade you from purchasing it with shared money. So if someone were to like set up a GoFundMe or magically like purchased it in your name, I think I think she'd be okay with that. I certainly hope we have some wealthy listeners. Uh, so if you'd like to send me a six foot long hypershock sign and you have $3,000 laying around, just private message me and I will be forever in your debt. So that's a good point, Lindsay. Thank you. Loopholes. <laughs> All right, let's switch gears and get into our recap of episode 10. For the 14 bots fighting last week, this was for many of them, their third and final time to impress the selection committee and secure their spot in the 2020 BattleBots Championship. In some cases, like with Hydra and Uppercut, their performance in this episode helped secure their guaranteed spot in the bracket, while other bots like P1 and Hypershock desperately fought it out for the bottom seed. All right, let's get into our first fight, Uppercut versus Hydra. Our one and only upset of the night, at least according to our listeners, were pretty much split down the middle. This match was destined to come down to the ground game. Rather than a weird bike rack attachment, Hydra came out with a configuration I'm calling the Million Little Wedgelets configuration, uh, named because it looked like there were a million little ground scraping wedgelets on the front of the spot, designed to scoop uppercut and land flips to its body. Uppercut appeared to come out with the same blade that it ran in its championship match against Bite Force last season, complete with a little chip in the tip. But Alex Satori constantly found himself on top of Hydra, seemingly spending more time in the air than on the ground. We saw Hydra in top form in this match, delivering a vertical spinner killing performance that was closer to Witch Doctor than Huge, clinching their spot as the number one seed in the tournament. Your thoughts on this fight? Could have used more fisting. Oh, God. Chris, stop saying that. <laughs> Could have used more fisting. Yeah, I think that's accurate. I don't know. This fight had a little bit of everything. This was a lot of fun. I think everybody did a really nice job. Um, I think that uh the outcome was pretty predictable and um yeah it, it is what it is i i really liked seeing hydra in top form i feel like 
I felt kind of like 2019 Hydra was kind of like a forced narrative. Like, oh, it's such a strong bot, but they just kept saying it was a strong bot. We didn't really see it <clears throat> be super strong. It threw but an appliance, this, man. It threw an appliance well. Yeah, I know. It's but you know, it was kind of like wheeled underneath the appliance and it was lined up and they fully charged and stuff. I mean, 2020 Hydra looks like a contender for the giant ed. Yeah. Um, you know, which throwing Witch Doctor into the lights, <clears throat> Uppercut, you know, coming out against a super, super scary bot in Uppercut. You know, I I, I just, I, I've been really, really impressed with 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 Hydra this year. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely number one seed for a reason. And the site is a good example of why. Um, you know, the geometry of these two bots did not bode well for Uppercut, and it really showed. Hmm. Okay. All right, on over to our second fight of the night, Sawblaze versus Rusty. Our last look at Rusty for the 2020 season, very sadly. And Sawblaze really in top form with a match that really honored Rusty as the tough little barn bot that we've come to know and love. We're going to have Jameson go here um, to break down this fight in just a little bit. But uh, wanted to check in with you to see if you had any thoughts about this match before our interview with Jameson. I don't know what more you could ever want from a fight. Like that was that was incredible. It was so much fun, and Rusty got to come out of it at the end and zip away. So anybody who is you know leaving mean comments on message boards, like grow up because that's what battle bots are supposed to do to each other. Rusty is not like a child; it's a fully competitive robot. And David Eaton knew what he was getting into when he entered it into the match. So. Um, I think that's was the best outcome, the ideal outcome for both bots at the end of it. Um, and it was a lot of fun to watch. So that's my uh, that's my take. It was one of the most memorable fights of the season. Well said, Lindsay. All right, on over to Tantrum versus Gamma 9, the small boy versus the very big boy. Tantrum is an incredibly dense little bot and in the running for probably the smallest robot in the competition this year. Um, with a possible contender in Copperhead. While Gamma 9 looked like a stretch limo in comparison, really long on four wheels with a ton of air armor and just bulk, just bulk everywhere. This was a real test of Aaron's punching spinner design, which we saw land multiple jabs on the side of Gamma 9. At one point, I wrote in my notes that this is a driving clinic by Tantrum Captain Aaron Hill, who drove circles around the Batmobile and earned a knockout in 2 minutes and 59 seconds. Your thoughts on this fight, Tantrum versus Gamma 9. It's easy to do a driving clinic against a really big bot that moves pretty slowly. Um... <laughs> But that said, it was wonderful to see the puncher on Tantrum doing everything that it is supposed to do. Those punches flew out exactly when you wanted them to every single time. You know, one of the things I think that's been so frustrating about Tantrum last season and a little bit this season is they get into a position where you really want to see that thing fly forward and get some sparks and it wouldn't. So they'd have to like drive the other bot up on top. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I loved seeing the punching design. I, I feel like, like a lot of fans, I've, I've questioned the efficacy of the punching design, but you could really see it here, um, just punch after punch after punch. And it really worked, and that was really thrilling. I, I just love seeing a robot doing what, what its builder originally designed it to do. 
100%. It was a great match all the way around. Um, Gamma 9, to their credit, held up and held up for a long time. Uh, but that was a lot of punches. Nobody would stand up to that many punches. Yeah. All right, on over to our fourth fight of the night, the hardest fight to call, Endgame versus Hypershock. Um, Endgame, start off with them. They faced an incredibly tough strength of schedule this season, facing Tombstone, Bloodsport, and Hypershock. The Kiwis knew they needed to earn a convincing win here, and they did, executing their Tombstone strategy a second time, punting Hypershock out of the arena in basically the exact same manner as they did with Ray Billings, earning a knockout in just 53 seconds. Endgame did make an interesting design choice that I want to call out that I really like. They came out with their standard wedgelets, but added a single long fork to the front of their bot, which was designed to get under Hypershock and pull their opponent's wheels off the ground slightly. We saw a similar fork configuration in Slamo's match against Witch Doctor, and I've honestly been thinking about this single long <laughs> fork uh, all week long. Um, super smart attachment and one that we may potentially see more in the future as the sport tries to devise a winning strategy against the vertical spinner meta. Your thoughts on this fight, Endgame versus Hypershock. What we, uh, what a lot of people don't realize is that Endgame was simply helping people get to the Hypershock secret store. <laughs> And so that's why they inverted Hypershock, revealing that secret QR code. Oh, it's so kind of them. So kind of them. Um, I, I almost wonder if being that aggressive and knocking Hypershock out of the ring at, or, you know, knocking them out at such a um, early point in the match, did them maybe some uh, harm in the ultimate like seating because, they didn't really get to show everything that they could do. It was over so quick, just like with Tombstone. And I wonder if they had been maybe a little less aggressive or hit like a little bit less hard, but made the match go longer. Like, I still think that they would have won. Um, but I wonder if that would have like been more favorable to the selection committee when it came time to determining seed. Oh, that's such an interesting point, right? Like this, this bot beat Tombstone and Hypershock in record time, instantaneous kill shots, right? Two two hit wins, both matches, and uh, landing their robot in almost exactly the same place, and they're not seeded number one? Like, what? Um, no, it's a very, very interesting point. I, I'm glad it was so quick. I think it shows that Endgame is uh, here for business. They are not here to play. And I thought it was really fun. Um, just the insta-kill and the look on Will's face after the insta-kill. Uh, especially after him talking about not wanting to get hit because that thing hits hard. Well, it does. It certainly does. Um, yeah, this this was a really, really fun match. I know that it was fast. Um, but... It was, it was wild because there was so much buildup to it. You kept thinking like, wow, oh my God, this might go three minutes. No, 53 seconds. Like, And, uh, you know, with the count out, it was actually probably 33 seconds. Um, and really just shows uh, Jack Barker and Nick Maybe's strategy and driving. Um, but you're right, Lindsay, in that we haven't seen a lot of airtime from this team. And... In terms of, of their knockouts, we've th these are probably the two fastest knockouts of any robot in the 2020 competition. So they haven't really, we haven't seen 
the full performance of the bot. And I'm really, really excited to see what they what they can bring to the uh, to the round of 32. All right, on over to P1 versus Smee. This was our first really good look at Brandon Zielinski's new front hinge flipping electric race car P1. They earned an untelevised knockout against Kronos, were squashed by top-seeded bot Copperhead, and in this match really exploited every design flaw in Smee, getting under that bot, lifting it, and throwing it repeatedly up on the screws. This was such an entertaining fight. And afterward, a number of fans made an impassioned case for why P1 should have earned a spot in the top 32, noting that there were seven bots who got into the competition with a 1-2 record, while P1 was the only bot with a 2-1 record not to be selected to advance. I definitely want to talk about the top 32 uh, at some point, but uh, first I want to ask you about your thoughts on this match, P1 versus Smee. This match was a million times fun. Um... I called it all the way wrong, and I'm okay with that. My kids called it all the way right. Um, I mean, how much fun was this? You know, you get to watch Smee get paraded around in the air. Great driving all the way around. Uh, just a great match. And seeing Brandon's face when his bot was able to lift Smee and carry it around like that was uh, just pure joy and really great to see. So yes, uh, 1010 would recommend and watch again. Even seeing Joe Fabiani's face when he was being uh, carted around in the air, like he was loving it too, which I thought was so fun. Like, I, I don't think that he has ever seen Smee, whether the heavyweight version or the beetleweight version had ever seen Smee in that position before. And I think he was getting a, a, a kick out of it. Uh, plus, you know that you know the, these two builders have fought each other a ton of times uh, at Norwalk and, and probably other places as well. So, uh, you know, they're friendly and they have a history together, which I think made it that much better. Well, well said, Lindsay. Um, on over to our second squash match of the night, Beta versus Grabot. I feel like a broken record, but Beta's qualifying run has been absolutely mind-boggling to me, and this match was so one-sided that it was borderline unfun to watch. Grabot captain Ben Davidson faced two really tough competitors this season in Sub-Zero and Beta, and I want to wish him the best of luck in all of his future endeavors and this invention around his the, his grabbing hand mechanism that that he was showing in this uh, in this in this battle bot. Um, I'd love to see a 2021 redemption arc for Ben, uh, where he comes back to the competition with a really beefy robot that's just able to pick up its opponent and throw them across the uh, the arena. I think that'd be really cool. But back to this match, it was pretty one-sided. We got to see Beta's hammer do hammering just things over and over again. And um, their electromagnets were also working, so that was pretty cool. But all in all, really um, not that tough of a fight for John Reed and Beta. Your thoughts on this match? I kind of wish that uh, the show behind the scenes had done like maybe a little science-y segment on how Grabot's grabbers work. Because we kind of leave this season not really having a clear understanding of the technology behind it. And I know that that was a big selling point and like a big thing that he wanted to showcase. And unfortunately, we didn't really get to see it. And I wish I wish that we did. Yeah, 
Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's got a couple of videos of the grabbing hands working perfectly on his website. So I would encourage you to go and check that out. Um, just Google Ben Davidson and, and grab it. Um, really neat. They're pretty delicate though, the hands and um, in BattleBots, you need to kind of sometimes build something that's simpler, but tougher um, versus you know, technically perfect or technically interesting, but really prone to failure, I guess, you know, or can't take huge hits. I, I don't think that there's a lot of industrial robots that are getting their hands smashed by a, a 250-pound hammer, you know, or, you know, 250-mile-an-hour uh, spinner or something like that. Um, so maybe maybe a simpler design would, would, be, uh, would be the solution for 2021. All right, and onward to our main event, Whiplash versus Valkyrie. Um, if you think of this episode like a sandwich, this was the perfect uh, bread, you know, um, and really kind of kind of capped off our Hydra versus Uppercut fight. Both bots really going, you know, absolutely guaranteed to go into the championship and really just trying to um, trying to impress the selection committee. Um, and, and it was the same here with with Whiplash and Valkyrie. Um, Matt Vasquez had the confidence here to take off his bot spinner and instead go into the fight with just a lifter and a 45-pound wedge, which is pretty remarkable. Last week, I said that Matt Vasquez would have to drive perfectly for three minutes, and that's just what he did. First, breaking Valkyrie's undercutter, Mr. Cavity, and then switching his driving style to show aggression and control. The match went the full three minutes. We got to see exactly what Valkyrie looks like upside down, right side up, up on the screws and pushed around in the box. Unanimous judges decision for Whiplash, who earns the number eight seed and will go on to face a familiar competitor in Huge, which Whiplash beat in the round of 16 last year. Your thoughts on this fight, Whiplash versus Valkyrie. What a great showcase for Whiplash going into the round of 32. They crushed it. They crushed everything about this match. I mean, there was not a moment where I thought Valkyrie was possibly going to win this thing. Um, I thought not bringing out their weapon was probably a good move, considering how destructive Valkyrie can be. Uh, They probably wanted to save that for the round of 32. Um, And, you know, Whiplash is primarily a lifter bot anyway, and they really showed that in this uh, particular match. It went great for them. Valkyrie, to their credit, worked the whole time. But, uh, you know, working while you're upside down, up against the wall, up against the screws, uh, doesn't get you a whole lot of points with the judges. So there it is. Whiplash is is looking so incredibly strong this year. And it's really clear that um, this is a a special robot that's driven by a special driver. Um, And I, I I feel like Whiplash just... I think I really think it's going to go deep. If I was going to put a prediction on it, I think that they may go to the top four this year. And it's it's really, really a testament to uh, to Matt Vasquez's driving. So super excited to see this robot in the uh, in the round of thirty two. Something to keep in mind with this robot is Michael Lately drives Witch Doctor. Andrea operates the spinner on Witch Doctor. They, together as a team, are fully in sync, do a fantastic job of keeping the weapon, spinning at the right amount that they need for the hits and not letting it get too low, not overheating the bot, um, giving him control when he needs it, right? This is something they work out together. 
Matt Vasquez operates the driving, the lifter arm, and the weapon all by himself <laughs> in every match. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Whose brain does that? And how yeah. does that work? Like that is some just genetic weirdness that you, you cannot replicate in another person. And it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, before we get into the interview with Jameson, I want to quickly talk about the round of 32. I feel like every hot take has been taken already um, just four days after the, the episode. So I'm going to try not to rehash kind of these, these online uh, fights, but I do want to hear your thoughts on the seating, your thoughts on the bracket. And for me personally, I just have two things that I want to bring up. First, um, I, I, I have a problem <laughs> with, with Bita's number 13 seed in this competition. Uh, in no rational universe uh, do I think that Bita's earned the 13 seed. Um, so there were six bots that ended the season with a perfect record at 3-0, and or I guess the, the qualifying rounds at 3-0. and Bita is the lowest seeded of the six bots. And uh, yes, Bita did face a top competitor in Rotator. However, it didn't fire its hammer in that match. And it faced two squashy wins over unranked bots, Rusty and Grabot. Looking purely at strength of schedule, Mad Catter faced an incredibly tough strength of schedule, earning wins over number 15 ranked Fusion, number 16 ranked Malice, and number 20 ranked Ribot. However, Mad Catter enters the top 32 just one spot above Beta at number 12. Uh, does anyone else share my outrage here about, about Beta's 13 seed? It's so interesting that you, like, that is a hot take I don't think I've been seeing a lot of, right? Like, there's a lot of hot takes about Hypershock. Um, there's a lot of hot takes about, like, who should have actually been number 32, uh, Slamo. I've heard a couple of hot takes about that. But this this hot take about Beta is so accurate. And I feel like all the other ones are just people expressing their preference. With the Beta hot take, it's like, well, yeah, why? Hold on a second. You can't just go into one match, not use your weapon, and two other matches and squ squash rookies and call that a 13th seeded bot. I mean, there's so many bots with a better strength of schedule uh, lower in the rankings than them. That, that makes no sense. As far as everybody else's hot takes on the internet goes, I feel like what would help you all out is if everybody gets to be the number one seed and it was a round of 64. We'll do that next year and it'll fix it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You know what? <laughs> when when I look at strength of schedule, I I always think to myself, you know, if Bita faced the same schedule that Mad Catter faced, for example, what would the outcome be? Would it be a three and team, or would it be like a one and two team, maybe? You know, um, and I don't know. It's it's also like not fair because the builders don't get to choose the robots that they face. And someone decided that Beta should face Rusty and Grabot. Um, but in my mind, it's almost like those those two matches didn't even happen. Really, all you can do is judge John Reed and that robot on his match with Rotator, which was not a strong match. It could have easily gone the other direction with the judges. Um, so... Yeah, the thirteenth seed. That's that's my first hot take. That that's that's kind of the 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 big one. Um, 
So I don't know, maybe maybe you agree with me. Um, I also want to talk a little bit about P1. I know that P1 has been kind of like the, the, the big, big topic this week. Um, and the selection committee deciding that it was the only two-in-one bot that didn't deserve to advance in the competition while leaving the door open for one-in-two bots, Tombstone, Kraken, Witch Doctor, Huge, Rotator, Hypershock, and Gruff. If you were to look purely at statistics, P1 earned a televised win over unranked bot Smee, an untelevised win over unranked bot Kronos, and got stomped in a quick knockout from number three ranked Copperhead. You could make a case, hypothetically, mathematically, that P1 faced a tougher strength of schedule than two-in-one bot hijinks. Um, when you look at it, they're they, very similar. Um, hijinks earned a televised win over unranked bot Chomp, an untelevised win over unranked bot Tracer, and lost in a knockout to unranked bot Claw Viper. Um, so should P1 have taken Hijinx's spot? Perhaps. Um, your thoughts on P1? Hmm. That's an interesting question. I haven't heard it before this week. Oh, wait. Yes, I have. Um, <laughs> no, I don't. I think that uh, you have to include, and they do include, past season's performances into these rankings. Obviously, right? This is why Beta is even here. Right. Um, so the you know hypershock hypershock deserves to be there if nothing else because it consistently puts out entertaining fights that make it to television um and those fights are always fun right hypershock does not always win but their fights are always fun this is a reality show about a robot fighting competition I actually don't have a problem with Hypershock getting into the round at 32. I think that it's a good good decision. Um, yeah. I, I question Hijinx getting in over P1. I, I actually think that that that's that's kind of the... The that, real sticking point? Yeah, that for me. Because they're, they're both two-on-one bots. Sure. And P1 faced a tougher strength of schedule than yeah. Hijinx. And... Hijinx made it in, but P1 didn't. Um, Hijinx, Hijinx is a spinner. They they have bigger <laughs> boom booms. Right, right. I, I think that's what it comes down to, you know? Sure. Um, I think um, this thing was a little bit more palatable when there was a Desperado tournament to ease the blow of your teams not necessarily making it into the bracket. Yes. Because they had a chance. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's accurate. Yeah, yeah. That's very accurate. Yeah, I, I think if they didn't have a Desperado tournament and they just went into a top 16, you would just, you wouldn't see Tombstone in there. And that just wasn't something that was possible. Like, you, you I can't imagine a modern BattleBots championship without Witch Doctor, Tombstone, Huge, Gruff, you know? Um, yeah. So I think that maybe maybe that's why... There's so much acrimony this week about about the top 32. For it's sure. Also, it's also interesting because last week when we interviewed Greg, he he was alluding to um, you know, the selection committee looking at diversity of weapon types for the finals and mm -hmm. he said that he acknowledged that, you know, just the general setup of the competition favors spinners. So that way when it comes time to like 
making tough decisions when it comes to the top 32, you might give, uh, you might pick a non-spinner over a spinner because you want to even out that advantage and maybe bring some more diversity to the weapons and the finals. So granted, given that he said that last week, and now here we are with two bots with very similar records, um, but slightly different strength of schedules. And he, he picked the spinner, well, not he personally, but the selection committee picked the spinner over the, the non-spinner. Uh, it makes you think like, okay, well, uh, it's clearly not like the reality. He, he, he was saying that, but that's not necessarily the reality. This is, I'm not going to accuse Greg of being biased towards hinged flippers, specifically front hinge flippers or British flippers, which P1 technically is. I know that the current captain is not British, but the original captain was. Um, yeah, I can see why the shape of the bot would not interest him personally. I can see, you know what I mean? Like where that comes from. Plus the hijinks team, while hijinks is a rookie bot, uh, the hijinks team has been pumping out entertaining good bots for years now, and they know that they're going to have some good matches from them, some reliably good matches from them, especially now that all the kinks are worked out of the bot. You're thinking about putting on an entertaining tournament. It makes more sense to put in a hijinks than a P1 for just that factor. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's so many factors that go into the selection committee's decision. Um, you know, it's not a purely mathematical, algorithmically driven bracket. Um, you know, the selection committee is looking at good matchups going into the round of 32. They're um, looking at potential upsets. They're looking at story arcs, your brand among the fans, you know, Hypershock and hijinks, super popular with the fans. Yeah. One less popular. Um, and the strength was popular before we knew what it was. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> that yeah. means something. That means a lot. You know, they, they look at the strength of your pit crew, your supply of spare parts, your ability to put on entertaining fights. And all of that goes into the, the, the bracket. Um, isn't everything you just said the opposite of the situation around Jakey Wirt? The, the, I mean, the, there there was a fight where there was actually not any any actual weapon use. Uh, he only has one bot. There's no other like major parts to fall back on. Well, no, but like that's just the body. You know, Jake could probably rebuild that whole thing well, from the. He choose to fight huge. Like that was part of his whole argument was like, Oh, I only have one. Yeah. Well, huge could potentially do a lot of damage to the top of the bot, which could destroy the unibody construction of all that titanium. Right. But like, uh, you know, he's going to face spinners in this, in this tournament. It might not be directly on the top, but it's probably going to be something that would, uh, render it very difficult to repair. Yeah. Well, if he get if he goes up against a, a sawbot, he's definitely going to have some issues for sure. I might um, be reading too much into this, but I think story arcs are a big part of the round of thirty-two selection, yeah. where yeah. they're like Hydra generated 
a lot of controversy among the builders there at the show. And they thought, okay, well, maybe it would also generate controversy among the fans. People are going to be so upset that, that Jake got the number one seed, you know? Like, why give him the number one seed? You know, like, he had two and a half matches, right? Um, yeah, you were talking earlier about, like, the fact that Bita basically had two non-fights. Like, they it won against Grabot and Rusty, Right. And it's like Hydra essentially had one non fight because it didn't fight. It just created a diversion so that it didn't have to fight. And it's like, why, why now you're basically judging Hydra on two performances and it did not knock out its performance in either of those opportunities. And so you think, like, well, geez, like Bloodsport had a lot more knockouts. They, um, they showed up to every match. Like they didn't try to, you know, like skirt around one. Why isn't Bloodsport in the number one spot? And I imagine it goes back to it being an Ewer in the top spot. It goes back to, you know, wanting a villain in the top spot. Like it's just like production decisions that don't make sense to me at a, as a competition standpoint. The story arc leading up to the to the final thirty two bracket is very Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> That's yeah. So true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think I think there's just that we're talking about it. They probably love that too. That yeah. fans care that much about it that they're going to fight Bloodsport versus Hydra. They're both incredible bots. They're both engineering marvels. So what if one is seated one and the other one seated two? Would we really care if it was Bloodsport at number one versus Hydra at number two? Um you know, like just getting into the round of 32, I think is difficult enough. And Jameson makes this point in our, in our interview uh, coming up, which I swear is happening soon um, <laughs> uh, where he says, you know, it almost doesn't matter what your seed is because any bot has the potential to knock out the other bot. Once you get into the championship, especially in so, this tournament. Yeah. Yeah. You really just have to look at your opponent and go fight by fight. And that's it for this week's predictions, news, and 2020 championship recap. After the break, our interview with Sawblaze captain Jameson Go. This week on the podcast, we have a very special returning guest, Sawblaze captain Jameson Go. Jameson is a mechanical engineer and inventor at MIT. Combat Robotics fans know him for his three-pound robots, Silent Spring and Silent X, his 30-pound robot, Megatron, and his 250-pound BattleBot, Sawblaze. We're talking with Jameson after Sawblaze earned the seventh seed in the 2020 BattleBots Championship, and will face Matt Spurk and Kraken in the round of 32. We're looking forward to learning more about Sawblaze in the hour ahead. So welcome to the show, Jameson. Hey, thanks for having me uh, back on. Yeah, it seems like a a lifetime ago (laughs) that that we had you on the show back in uh, October 2019. Yeah, I mean, everyone would probably agree a lot has happened since then. And, you know, that's no exception for the world of combat robotics as well, right? Yeah, yeah, that's there's a lot going on, despite everything else going on in the world, and uh, and and hopefully we can get into a lot of it during uh during this chat. So yeah, when we last talked to you, it was just a couple weeks after the end of the 2019 season of BattleBots, where Sawblaze advanced to the top eight, put on a great show. Um, what were your thoughts on 
you know, thinking back on, on the 2019 season and how did that inform the changes that you made to Saw Blaze heading into 2020? You know, first and foremost, you know, we celebrated our achievements and getting to the top eight, obviously an improvement over getting to the top 16. Uh, the team overall was feeling pretty positive about the progress. We felt like we put a ton of work into unveiling a new design, a kind of a new weapon archetype as well. And all those things, the, the, all the things that we had worked on prototyping and development in that off season seemed to have, we, we considered placing or ending higher as a, as a reflection of that hard work. So yeah, top eight, we're all pretty excited. Uh, and, you know, the, the things that we looked at, because you know, obviously we want to win the giant, not, you know, the ways that we lost, I think informed a lot of what we needed to do. So there's, you know, having that clear direction of what you need to improve on, I think also gave us a, a, a second bit of kind of hope and outlook on that. So we had a, a huge laundry list after at the end of every season, we have a big team meeting, we put like an hour or two into just generating this big list of things we want to do differently for the, the next season. So you get quite an extensive list. Every time you lose, you find out every time you lose and you can solve those issues you're one step closer to to winning uh so some of them are fairly general some of them are design specific you know but our two losses in that 2019 season the tombstone and witch doctor were very informational about things that we needed to address um, but yeah looking back on the season we first celebrate where we are and that was a huge achievement for our team so you you mentioned um, you know being able to actually like diagnose a problem when you can. How how difficult is it to you know look at the bot after a match and exactly determine like what went wrong or or, or what might have happened within the bot? Uh, sometimes it's easy to to diagnose the issue. Sometimes you have the ability to kind of review how the match went. Obviously, if something went wrong, you have to first pick up your heavy heart and be like. Okay, time to do better and um, look at the fight overall. Find out is this a kind of driver positioning error, uh, something that you can fix with practice? Was it a design error? Is there something that's innate in the machine that we have to improve? Can that be improved in the time span of the event or maybe for the next season? Or is it sort of an implementation failure, such as in the Tombstone fight, um, we had a it was, a, it was a drive motor power connector. So one of the three motors, one of the three wires that goes to the motor uh, was routed in a way that put it into strain when the robot was kind of flexing. The uh, electronics are shock mounted and they have the ability to move a little bit. So it actually pulled that cable. So it's like, okay, better routing, more secure way of holding the connectors together. We're sort of, sort of like the takeaways from that one. How hard is it to diagnose that Something like that, you know, you, you notice the loss of function, but there's always like a number of reasons why something like that could happen. Was it mechanical damage from the other guy? Did something jostle loose like I just described in that tombstone fight? That you just kind of have to, to see. And, you know, anytime you're doing sort of experimentation, you hope that through the rest of the match, let's say like the, the cause is more is visible or does not change. Like the connector popping loose, if tombstone kept hitting us, and the robot was a unrecognizable pile of scrap by the end of it. It'd be really hard to diagnose that connector. Uh, <laughs> that's that <basically>, makes sense. <laughs> that's basically it. 
and you hope that you'll be able to find it. I think that's really what what we're after. You can't improve, you can't fix a problem if you don't exactly know what it is. So we just hope that it's it's a it's pretty apparent. It's what we hope for in this problem solving. And yeah. <laughs> so so um, kind of speaking on that um, iteration process, Cameron Hutton asks. How did the redesign of the hammer saw go? Were there any difficulties you encountered in this process? So, so the upgrade of the hammer saw, that one, you know, sometimes these changes are motivated by, you know, pure will, the will to want to have an optimized machine to have better performance. Aesthetically, you know, on paper, was there anything wrong with the hammer saw? I would say, no, it spun up reliably, it hit stuff, but it could always be better. Um, some stats just to talk about how much more it could be improved. The spin-up time uh, in, in up, unoptimized about 20 seconds plus. It's pretty long to spin that up and is very apparent in the blacksmith fight. This thing was very difficult to drive with it. It would pop wheelies all the time, uh, gyro dance all over the place. And so those are some of the things we wanted to address and making this thing better. Uh, the closer it got to the 30-pounder Megatron, which is the test bed for Sawblaze and Sawblaze test bed for it, getting a performance closer to that, so we'd be able to spin up the weapon faster when we wanted to, and it would not drastically affect the drivability so much just because we can control that speed. Uh, some of the things that we knew immediately that we wanted to do is to close the loop on the control for the weapon motor. So, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, it's like, oh, we have sensorless brushless control and it's open loop. Maybe they say that, uh, but the, basically the addition of feedback sensors, something to tell where the motor is, helps it start up faster, uh, more reliably. And we also knew that the blade, you know, we were aiming for a total weight because we weren't really sure exactly what we needed to, to operate on the heavyweight scale. Dangerous to test these things as well. Uh, we were originally targeting the a certain weight percentage modeled after the 30-pounder. Turns out we don't really need to do that. The scalability of small classes to big classes, you don't need as much oomph to do damage to the same materials and almost the same thicknesses in some cases uh, between the 30-pounders and the 250-pounders. So we really just wanted to figure out the blade weight and get the speed up and the response time. And all those things went into the improvement of the 2020 hammer saw, which I think has been performing pretty well so far. Uh, hey, Jameson. First of all, congratulations on winning in the 30-pound division at Norwalk Havoc. And more importantly, uh, your big win against Big Ripto. That was a lot of fun to watch. Thanks. Uh, that was, <laughs> I was definitely pretty nervous for that fight. Yeah, well, everybody who faces Big Ripto is really nervous about it, so that's totally understandable. When, when um, I'm driving, the angrier I look, the uh, the more nervous I am. <laughs> that actually <laughs> makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah, that was a big one for me. The very first uh, like live event I ever went to was the uh, Franklin Institute event where you fought Big Ripto and the entire plow came off your robot and uh, literally brought down the roof. It was great. <laughs> Aspiring future builders, do not uh, thread in your big armor plow into plastic. <laughs> yes, lessons learned, right? That's, uh, mm -hmm. that's what we've been talking about a lot today. <laughs> my, my experiences pay forward to, to new builders. Don't do it and expect to come out with face your machine versus Big Ripto. 
Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Um, all right, so I wanted to talk to you today about uh, the matches you have already had in the fight nights uh, leading up to the round of 32. Um, so the first one, the very first fight of season five, um, and it really set the tone for what we could expect for the competition this year. I mean, great driving, big hits, super destructive matches. Um, so if you don't mind, tell us about your fight with Whiplash and what your strategy was going into that match. Oh, and our, our teams were so excited to have uh, this matchup. Like when they announced it, they announced it over TVs versus like the megaphones because of all the COVID procedures. Uh, we cheered so loud. My team cheered so loud when actually, actually when they just heard Sawblaze in general, they cheered so loud. We couldn't actually hear the matchup. <laughs> it's so like, hold on guys, wait, we don't know who we're fighting. They just said Sawblaze. Uh, we're so excited to be there at, at the competition and Whiplash is our pit neighbor. So we're sharing the same TV and they're like, did, did we hear Whiplash? And I'm like, I don't know. Uh, we actually had to ask someone else later to be like, okay, yes, it is Whiplash versus Sawblaze. And then afterwards, you know, us being pit neighbors were so excited for this matchup because uh, we knew it was going to be good. In the off season, some fans have been requesting it. I personally have been looking forward to a match like that just because I know that these machines, you know, are probably going to go the distance. Uh, very similar styles. It's going to be fast. It's going to be dynamic, all that stuff. So after the excitement of the, the announcement came, now it's actually down to the business end of it. Like, what are we going to do about it? And Whiplash has so many different attachments this year. They they came very well prepared. Uh, instead of having just one front end, they could have done any number of things. And, you know, we were actually, in the back of my mind, expecting to see a variant of the front plow that they used against Valkyrie. Because, uh, you know, the disc can cause damage. Uh, the main lift, the, the main problem the main uh, weapon of Whiplash is probably that lifter. Matt gets into this thing where he almost juggles his opponents, and they they say they never touch wheels on the ground the whole time. I was expecting him maybe he would do that, put the put a you know a lighter front end on it, you know take the disc off and then armor up on top. Uh, said they did kind of this this mixture thing, and we didn't know about it until the actual day before the fight because we were trying to give them some space to to pick whatever configuration they, they thought was best. They end up kind of going with the, the huge configuration actually. So lots of armor on top, uh, none of the, the side wedges and still that low scraping lifter with the uh, disc in the middle. And, you know, it was a little bit of a sigh of relief for, for me just because, you know, I was worried very much about the ground game and without those wedges, it, I felt like it would be, a little bit easier for us to get underneath them. Um, but adding more top armor doesn't necessarily, doesn't scare me per se, if that makes sense. It just means that we would probably be able to do less damage. So the fight would go longer, which makes it more fun. I think three minute fights are fantastic. I want the ones and dones are, are difficult to watch, although very spectacular to see. Uh, it's like with additional top armor, like, yeah, this is probably going to go longer uh and we're gonna have an absolute brawl so it, it relaxed me a little bit but still uh, you never know what exactly is going to happen it's prepared for trying to unleash a whole bunch of different driving strategies to, to keep out of the grasp of uh, matt vasquez the um most explosive part of that 
that fight and also some of the best footage from that fight was the big hit at the end where you kind of cracked through uh, their top armor and got the KO. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that hit? You mentioned earlier that uh, you did some damage to yourself. Yeah, so that, that entire fight was is, is jockeying for position just to really get a good hit. Uh, it was, you know, I'm, I'm always impressed by what Matt can do. I tell him after pretty much every fight, it's just like, dude, you handled that spectacularly. Like, that was perfect. Even back when uh, in the previous seasons where he beat Bronco, I was like, dude, I wish I could do that. <laughs> That's what I wanted to do. He did it perfectly. And this, this fight was no exception. I mean, leading up to that final hit, uh, when we were going toe-to-toe, I think that he had mentioned what that that initial hit where we hit between the chassis and that gap underneath that uh, something had prevented the arm from going all the way down, but then he immediately adapted to going the reverse whiplash mode. Maybe it, that is the, the whiplash mode, per se. Some people are saying it's like Sawblaze-ish. Like, okay, yeah. But that was brilliant. I mean, just sacrifice the ground game. Start attacking us from top. We have a lot of important bits that are you know are important for the function of the machine and like he was close to hitting like all of them uh even the part where we had to had a dual exchange of our weapon blades was just awesome it looked like a real a really good clash uh something that we'd you know we'd like to see that fight again personally because you know that's just good that's just good action but um you know we, we were able to land a bunch of small hits and the damage started to accumulate up to the point where we got that final hit. Now, there's actually a smaller one in the same charge against the wall. I'm not actually sure if that last hit was the actual nail in the coffin. I think it was actually the hit before that, because uh, you can see them start to slowly lose function leading up to the pin against the wall. Uh, the, oh, a tough robot like Whiplash you're never really sure if you're going to regret letting them out. So, you know, although we don't want to do extra damage to our friends, you know, this was probably the only chance that we're going to be able to, to get a full speed hit. And so, you know, even though they seem to be decreasing function, we want to take that last one back off and see how they're doing. Uh, I was actually thinking it's the hit before that, that hit the weapon switch. If you looked through our post fight analyses, there's posts which talk about some of the damage that both our robots sustained. There's a pretty big like set through the middle is two hits, one of which had completely blown apart their power switch. And I think that's the one that's responsible for the drive. You saw the weapon still moving, the arm still moving. Um, but without the drive, obviously they can't translate. And then ref's gonna ask him to show motion, you know, in which he was unable to. Yeah, that was, uh, I don't think anybody is mad that you took that that last hit. That was uh, glorious TV, and, uh, you know, we're all here for the robot carnage, right? Um, yeah, don't go too <laughs> overboard, but <laughs> fight speaking robots, of, don't go too crazy. <laughs> so speaking of robots that go a little overboard, um, we saw the biggest fireball, like, in BattleBots history in your fight against Uppercut. So before we get into that fight, can you tell us a bit more about your relationship with Alex? They made a big deal out of it um, on the show. So if you don't mind just kind of telling us in your own words how you know Alex and what your relationship is with him. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, th everything they said on the show was completely correct. Um, 
let's say the background of it is actually Lucy uh, was the first introduction. Alex at the time was a, you know, a new freshman to MIT and he took like a seminar course which Lucy was a teaching assistant for. And, you know, it's kind of like a kitchen sink engineering course sort of, sort of thing, just to get your feet wet and make something really cool. Alex had a lot of passion and through one way or another, I don't remember the details, but uh, Alex was introduced to combat robotics and really the rest was history. Uh, we saw him very often. Uh, he was, he was just had so much enthusiasm. He was all smiles all the time. He loved building things. Like I would come into MITRE's, the MIT Electronic Research Society, where a lot of these creations come from. Like Charles Guan was a huge member in that organization. He and Alex spent a lot of time there as well. I, I would pop in because it was nearby my my office, and then he'd be like, "Hey, dude, check out these like five new robots I built this week." <laughs> it, they're they're awesome there's like there's like picture he was really uh, happy about i remember bite force it's byte4s because it's a four cell powered bite force miniature clone it was it was clever and it was it was pretty awesome too uh <laughs> so it, it was really great meeting alex uh and through that relationship taking him to events going with him seeing his success uh and we talk a lot about our fight strategies we went to motorama you guys you guys know uh we talk about the strategies like he asked me what he should what he thinks i uh, what i think he should do in his next fight event it's so and so and we talk about it uh we confide in each other a lot uh, and we, that sort of developed this mentor mentee relationship in which you know i honestly in all the greatest, greatest ways considered him to be kind of like my robot fighting son. Uh, I'm really proud of everything that he's, that he's done. I love his enthusiasm. It's just absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and now see him here on BattleBots. We had him on our team for 2018 and now he's got his own team because he wanted to follow his passion in this design. That's kind of been the, let's say like the, the pillar of his entire robot fighting career, the two wheel drive. It's sort of like the apex esh design from uh, Team Velocity. But uh, he wanted to pursue that. And now we, he's here standing beside us, you know, and I think that's absolutely awesome. We're proud of everything. And, you know, I don't want to take credit for any of that, but I'm just happy to have been a part of it. It's really what it's about. So the fireball that happened in this match was uh, pretty intense. Where did what did that look like from your perspective in the box, and uh, what was going through your mind when you saw that? So actually, you know, when I'm driving the robot, I'm looking at either the robot or my opponent. In this case, I was looking mostly at my robot because uh, I didn't really see the opponent. He just he came so fast out of left field. Uh, I did not know that the, the fuel tank had expelled. Uh, I did, my teammates had to tell me at the end that, man, this is going to be, this is going to make every single highlight reel of BattleBots for the end of time. And I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> because, I mean, yeah, you look at the slow-mo and even they kind of touched on it this past episode about how 
right after the thing, I get right back into it. I never left the thing technically. So as soon as that happens, you know, I'm thinking, okay, we just got hit. And I immediately swoop around and scoop uh, if the drive side hadn't, hadn't died out. Uppercut would be probably eating a wall. But uh, I had no idea that there was the fireball. So it was a huge, I wouldn't say a shock, but I, I was shown photos. And man, that was big. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty big. Um, we have a question from Alexander Archer who wants to know, how long did it take you to rebuild Sawblaze after that fight? Um, it actually, so maybe it took about a day or so. Um, like we talked about in some of our post-fight analyses, there's different levels of damage that I'd consider. Uh, things which are mostly mechanical are the easy ones to fix because you can see them you can see clearly what they what what is damaged. You can see on the outside how it, it affects function. Uh, and this match was basically all mechanical, so it's pretty obvious where they had hit us. You know what things were, you know, broken, need to be replaced. And the insides, as long as the insides were okay, that really reduced a lot of the fix time. If it was, you know, a wire that got cut or or a controller that burned out, you know, the repair, the repair and replace cycle for that. It's a little bit longer. You have to set it up. You have to double check all the wiring. It's, it's like, you know, electronics black box. If something goes wrong in there, you have to hunt and you have to, you know, peruse and look inside the machine. And these things are already pretty compact as is, but, you know, uppercut made it pretty obvious which things were damaged and need to be replaced. It's like marking it with a Sharpie, except your Sharpie is a 50 pound sharpened blade. Like this one, this one, this one, this one. And our team being, you know, pretty prepared for this season, we had a lot of spares made thanks to our the help of our sponsors. And so it was strictly a take apart, inspect the internals just to verify that we didn't need to do anything with the electronics, and then replace. And so we had the robot up by the end of the next day, which I think may have been a break day. I'm not completely sure at this point anymore. But we had plenty of time to do the repair, and we had the robot back in the box, back in the test box uh, in no time. I mean, it looked like a brand new robot fighting Rusty. Maybe it was. <laughs> so that brings us into our next fight with Rusty. So could you tell us a little bit um, about your most recent match? I mean, it was a great fight. It went the full three minutes, really showing how tough Rusty is. Um, your 2020 team page even lists Rusty as your team's favorite robot. So what did you like so much about Rusty before going into this match and during this match? I mean, just looking at Rusty, like what's not to love? Uh, Rusty, he's got so much personality. Uh, the, you know, you, you look, our, our teammates, we, look, we looked at Rusty uh, before we even knew we were fighting him. And we, it's like we all saw different things. Uh, and they just wanted to hug him, you know, if they weren't afraid of tetanus or anything like that, they would just totally hug the thing. Um, I, it kind of reminded me of like a rideable minion, like a minion centaur. I thought it'd just be so, so cool to, to ride. <laughs> and it's so adorable. Like it's two eyes and the, the bowl, like everyone loved Rusty for their own special reason. And I just thought it had so much personality. And later on learning the story, uh, Dave Eaton's story about 
how he got here, how he's basically here by himself. You know, the guy's got a lot of heart too. And you just have to, I can't think of anyone who did not admire that story and the fact that he's here and that he's, he's hanging in there with the, you know, quote unquote, big dogs, uh, did not get destroyed by Vita actually scored a knockout in his first fight. We couldn't cut through him either. It's, it's not a joke bot. It's a, it's, it's sturdy. It's definitely very sturdy. And, you know, in terms of the reliability of the machine, I actually say like Rusty's doing quite well compared to some of the, you know, considered serious contenders per se. They didn't quit at all. Everything's full functional. Rusty is is pretty awesome. <laughs> so for this uh, match, you ended up using your diamond blade, which is like used for rescue operations from what I understand. Yep. Um so can you tell us a little bit about that blade and kind of what your strategy was going into this fight with Rusty with it? Yeah, uh, this blade, it's a fireman's rescue saw, diamond-tipped fireman's rescue saw. It's basically used to cut through just about anything. The idea being that you know these blades used in res rescue operations to remove material or cut through material in order to get through like burning buildings or like crushed cars and things like that. So it's really meant to go through everything really fast. You know, rescue operations, you don't have that much time. Uh, we like to jokingly say we're trying to rescue the insides of the of our opponent. They may not want to be rescued. <laughs> but um, why do we pick this blade? So, you know, we're always looking for a good opportunity to use this one. It's a favorite of the fans. It's a favorite of production as well. Everyone loves the big showers of sparks. And, you know, Rusty kind of fit the bill for this one. Uh, things that we look for when we want to decide between using the hammer saw or the diamond saw is, is actually first, how badly can our opponent mess up the blade? Or how, what level of confidence do we have in keeping the blade safe? Uh, there's anything that we learned from previous seasons is that the blade is thin relative to all the spinning weapons. Uh, and can easily be bent. If it gets bent, it's not going to cut very well. Uh, even the robot running into the wall, turning and like hitting the arm against the, the side of the battle box can do damage to the blade. You know, it's almost, I wouldn't say it's a handicap, but it is definitely difficult trying to fight another 250 pound robot and protect the latter 40 pounds of your weapon arm assembly. So, you know, if, we're, if we think we're going to get shoved into the wall or flipped, you know, it's probably not our, our primary choice. The second thing going into it is what are they made of? Uh, if they're made of lots of titanium and lots of steel, that's ideal for making sparks. Aluminum, not very pretty. Plastic, also not very pretty. So Rusty kind of fit those two bills. It's basically all steel, aside from the stainless steel, you know, bowl on top and then the aluminum cover plate um i didn't know there was an air tank underneath that so that doesn't really give off sparks but the rest of it like the chassis it's rusty it's made of steel and in terms of their weapon kind of like a, the overhead hammer drill thing we felt that if we kept the arm backwards we would be able to keep the blade safe from rusty's weapon so 
we decided all all things considered this would be the time that we wanted to use it and so we're going to put it on here it is all right so we have a fan question from dale bruce who's a co-host of the shunt cast if anybody wants to check out that fun podcast dale asked a um two-part question but really it was like if questions because the episode hadn't aired yet when we asked this mm -hmm. uh so he asks uh, if Rusty destroyed you, how does it feel to lose to Rusty? And um, But since it went the way that it did, his question ends up being, how do you sleep at night knowing that you destroyed Rusty? Oh, man. It's, <laughs> I don't know how I sleep at night knowing that. Uh, you know, I see, I just, when I close my eyes, I just see that one red eye just, just you know, it's staring at me. It's, I can see it in the back of my head. Uh, he's haunting me. Okay, I can tell you another story about that, actually. Funny thing is, like, that fight almost didn't happen. Not so funny thing, perhaps. It's, this was one of the last nights. I don't think it was the last night. It's not necessarily shown in order, but it was one of the last nights for the fight card um, format. And they had already run over the normal, normal allotted time because of all the COVID things. You know, the camera crew is still getting into the swing of things. There's the procedures that you absolutely must follow because of COVID. And all those things just add up, you know, a minute here, a minute there. We're running net running late on the schedule. And then soon enough, you know, it's past nine o'clock. It's past ten o'clock PM. And, you know, you know, technically we're done for the day. Everyone's really tired. Everyone's really exhausted. We have a bunch of teams ready to fight their third match. Uh one of us, one of them being us and, you know, a bunch of other teams that, you know, you look at them and say like, no way, you can't skip their third fight. Like, you know, they're one of the future top 10 teams or something. We, that fight almost did not happen. They decided to pay, pay the crew for the overtime. And, you know, Rusty and I were happy to go in there. And it's part of the reason why, like, we look so tired. It's just because we've been waiting for a while. We weren't sure there were, we were, anxious about not getting to have that third fight both of us and so by the time it finally came around we're just thinking you know you know we're just gonna go in there we're gonna make it entertaining screw it we're gonna make them glad that they paid extra extra for this but yeah it almost didn't happen a bunch of teams almost did not get a third fight in case some teams actually did not get their third fight that's really strange to know about like that's i mean i guess that makes sense with all the covid protocols it really changes up the timing but yeah, that could have been disastrous. I'm glad that it worked out. I mean, throughout the entire competition, they're getting better and better and better about all the, the scheduling and the procedures. But I mean, I'm I'm thankful for a few things. I'm thankful that we got that third fight. Um, I'm also very thankful that they took COVID as seriously as we we're all hoping. Yeah. Uh, because yeah, that's it's kind of one of those non-negotiables. Like you know, we have to do, we have to keep it safe. You know, you can't come into the walkway after a certain amount of time. We have to clean it. We have to clean the opera boxes. We have to clean the operator stands. Like, nope, can't do it. We need to do this. This is this is how we keep people safe. And I think it paid off too. We had a that great record, as uh, Greg had, had mentioned. Uh, I think it paid off, and I was actually happy to see it. So I was very thankful. Yeah, I mean, we all are too. It's nice to have new entertainment, uh, but, you know, definitely not at the expense of everybody's safety. And, um, you know, kudos to the BattleBots production team for doing such a good job on that. All right, so we want to move into the round of 32. 
which we're very excited about starting up next week. Um, Soho, we have a question, two-part question from Alexander Archer, who asks, how does it feel to make it into the round of 32 as the seven seed? And what's your strategy against the number 26 seed, Kraken? Oh, the, uh, well, okay, first, very happy to be in the round of 32. Uh, we weren't sure if what our placement would be. We had a good win. We had a really tough loss. And then we had a you know an entertaining win. And, you know, some of these robots have such a tough schedule. Like I look at Valkyrie or Whiplash. That's a hard schedule. They had three really tough opponents, uh, Hydra even. But, you know, they, they toughed it out. And, of course, they got number one. But, like, you know, where does our schedule stand relative to theirs? And, you know, we weren't sure. We were, I, was, I was actually expecting to end up somewhere in the very middle. So the seventh seed, uh, it's a huge honor to be thought so highly of a selection committee. And also feels somewhat familiar. I think last season we were also the number seven seed. So maybe it's our lucky number, perhaps. It's lucky number for some people. Uh, we'll see if it takes us all the way. Uh, our sort of quadrant we felt pretty good about that that section um we we're not in the same quarters uppercut though i you know i'd look for a chance to to redeem ourselves though i don't really want it immediately i'll delay it as long as possible though if it happens i'm looking for a chance to to get that redemption uh tombstone is not in our quarter we do have witch doctor though so you know, that would be really fun to get a rematch. And Scorpios as well, I know, is a, a huge fan favorite uh, now, for sure. And they fans also want to see that fight. So our quadrant, kind of like skipping out a lot of super destructive robots, but also having a lot of really tough opponents too. Like, it's exciting. You know, new matchups are always super cool. And uh, good good chances for rematches are also super cool. Uh, speaking of new robots, how do we feel about fighting Kraken? Uh, you know, we've seen Kraken evolve as a, as a machine and it's every season gets so much better. And I think this is this season, you know, it's, it's here, it's real. It's definitely tangling with the best machines in all battle bots and doing quite well. You know, we don't look at the seedings as much our goal really is to just get in the tournament so when we see like 7 20 26 uh we don't say oh our, our seed is better so we think that we're we're better than them it's like nope you're just our next opponent you could beat us any robot could beat you and you just have to fight it you have to fight it give your best and win kraken has the potential to definitely grab the robot uh we've seen what we can do in terms of other people's top armor so kind of like when we think about last season quantum in the back of our mind, we cannot get caught by that, by those jaws. Got to keep out of the, out of their way. And Matt's a good driver. I've known him for many, many years. Yeah. You, uh, you kind of came up down in the Florida combat robot scene. So you would have known Matt from back in the day, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I was considered the Florida robot crew kind of like they're all my, my mentors, uh, kind of like my first family really for fighting robots so you know there's a few folks that we've seen on the show on other teams like alex grant who was helping on bale spear uh it's probably one of the first people that i met uh, of course matt spurk as well and there's a whole host of other folks down there which are just super awesome uh 
so yeah you know we're we're all smiles in this matchup uh basically having a chance to just like old times you know rough it up in the box a little bit and, and matt's just absolutely fantastic as well yeah and i like what you said about you know not not paying any mind to the seeding in this i mean yeah sure they're 26 seed but they also you know beat witch doctor with incredibly skilled driving and a very tough robot so yeah nothing to scoff at there at all yeah and and really these especially witch doctor they had unlucky breaks with those discs and now they're sneaking in to the 32 with a low seed but you know in the back of my mind they're last year's runner-up like that that seeding number is especially deceiving this season with only three fights three fights per robot it's especially deceiving it's almost like these the seedings don't matter if you got into the 32 you have a shot and that's really the, the main takeaway so uh, moving kind of past the 32, the other question we have from Alexander Archer, uh, which is a very good one, is will we be seeing Sawblaze back next season if there is a next season? And if so, what upgrades are you kind of thinking and kicking around with the team right now? Well, Sawblaze will absolutely come back. Sawblaze will come back every single time if it is possibly able to. And because of my team all over the country, so many great hands that are helping out. I have no, there's no doubt in my mind that Sawblaze will be able to come back. Uh, what upgrades will we have to the machine? On World, we just started the round of 32. It would be easier to answer that when we see how everything goes, but I think the machine is quite good right now. <laughs> no spoilers. The machine is quite good right now, but uh, there's always some things to improve. Uh, it'll I could say more later, but. Um, Jameson, one, one of my favorite things about you is that you are so committed to the local combat robotics circuit. Chris and Lindsay and Kyle and I together, we've probably been to 12 or 15 competitions here on the East Coast so far. And I feel like you've been at every single one of them, <laughs> which is like really cool. Um, you know, I, I think for, for fans of the show to come and see Silent Spring, Silent X, Megatron, um, in uh, you know at motorama um or at you know franklin institute norwalk etc it's really thrilling um and you know like when when i think about battlebots competitors who are also super super committed to the um insect weight and kind of like lower weight classes um you're absolutely up there so like that's that's really really cool so i'm curious you know like what is it about the sport um both the heavyweights and the kind of local circuit that keeps you going and is like your top hobby right now? Yeah, for sure. Uh, fighting robots has been basically my top hobby since I found out what BattleBots was all the way back those years. I think my first competition where I was actually, you know, competing with fighting robots in Florida was actually in 2004, late 2004. So I've been doing this for a long time and never took a year off. Uh, what kind of keeps me going is, you know, first of all, they've all come to be basically be some of my best friends. Uh, if you're not competing, it's still cool to hang out, to help out. And, you know, even for like the Norwalks, which I didn't actually compete with anything, it's just cool to be a part of it, uh, to see everyone again, to see the machines, the action, uh, and all the different designs. There's like this 
it's it's like the hangout aspect where you go to like conventions and just kind of see everyone and also this engineering aspect where this hobby uh it it kind of follows you with the level of accumulated skill and knowledge that you get so obviously back in 2004 when i was just a little kid i didn't really know too much but every single time you go to an event and you read up about a new technology you see what other people are doing something you could take with you uh, with your career uh, and apply it so things that i learn at work like a new technique some way to do things uh, a design element uh, that is generally applicable good mechanical design practice something like i like to apply to something that i'm building and it helps me learn that thing whether it's through success or through failure it's a really fun activity just to to practice you know it's, it's a funny thing. It's like, oh, practice. That sounds, I don't want to practice, but this is fun practice. Mm. It's, it made it fun. Yeah. I'm curious, can you, if you go back to 2004 and the first time that you were just wowed by combat robotics, decided to get into it, have you ever thought, you know, how your life might be different if combat robotics hadn't been invented, you know, or you never got into the sport. Do you think that you'd still be a mechanical engineer and an inventor, um, but just passionate about, I don't know, some other form of robotics or some other form of engineering? Um, you know, has combat robotics really shaped the trajectory of your life? I, well, you know, that's kind of one of those, you want, you want to hear a kid, you think about, you know, what I want to be and, you know, at that age where you don't really know too much about professions, you know, maybe you're thinking about like hierarchically like doctor or something mm. or like some service person, like a fireman or police officer or something. It, it's, it's a pretty young age. You don't really have that distinction. Uh, or my mom would say, you should be a lawyer because you're so good at arguing with me. <laughs> she used to say, uh, and because I didn't know any better, I was actually thinking about it. <laughs> what I actually enjoyed it. I don't know if that's actually the thing, but, um, it's a really pretty blank slate. And I, I think about that a, a lot, you know, just kind of stare out at the ceiling at night and think about how, how life has been and just how lucky we are to be where we are. Uh, you know, I knew I didn't know what I wanted to be at that age. And it's really kind of amazing just thinking about the influence of a VHS tape, uh, a book, iRobot from the friend, my dad's work buddy, thought that my dad's my like the, my my brother and I would enjoy this, and it's just those little things. Like you think about how that small gesture of kindness has gone such a long way for the individual. Yeah, it, it's it's just like wow, you know, amazing how all that turned out. Like it, it has been amazingly transformative. I've been an engineer since. I've wanted to tinker with things more than i've ever wanted to since i saw BattleBots on that vhs tape and you know maybe the main takeaway is BattleBots is awesome and the second takeaway would be you know take some opportunity to inspire some young folk you never know who might like it and really grasp onto it and how much how transformative it could be in their life yeah um, I, I've I've heard it described from Paul Ventimiglia before that combat robotics is 
kind of the most pure engineering sport um, because you get the same amount of weight and you have literally almost an infinite number of combinations that you can use for that weight to come up with a winning design. And um, there's also this element of chance and element of luck a, a little bit. I mean, you can't control every single factor inside of the arena and um, you can have uh, you know, a little kid <laughs> maybe go up against Silent Spring or Silent X and they've thought of something that you haven't thought of, which is like really interesting. And, um, you know, you have an outcome that you didn't expect in the box. Um, so I, you know, it's, it's really cool to see you so committed to the sport because I, I feel like, you know, we obviously want BattleBots to go for the next 500 years. Right. But if it went off the air, I still think that, you'd you'd be at Motorama you know you'd be fighting with 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 your robot still you know um, sure, yeah it yeah might not be Megatron anymore but we'll see right <laughs> um you know like do you do you do you look at it as as an engineering challenge and you know do you look at it as a sport do you look at it as kind of like a mental challenge as a physical challenge um you know when when you when you think about like the the value of it um how how, how do you see combat robotics I see it as a combination of everything it, you know, kind of like some of the appeal that first robotics had for for folks through the you know kids in high school as a combination of an engineering challenge and having aspects of a sport. I kind of see it like that. Maybe it doesn't have all the you know the, the glamorous DJs and other cool things. Uh, maybe because we're not that not that big yet. Uh, but I really appreciated first for for what it for what it brought. Uh, and I kind of see combat robotics in the same way. Is that. Uh, it has the engineering challenge. That's for sure. You build something, you've got designs, you know, there's obvious reasons why and why not, uh, and how things turn out slightly differently, such as like the hammer saw as a slight a slightly different implementation to a the, sp the spinners as we know it results in a, well, a, a different result uh, implemented in a different way. And you know, little things like that, I think are pretty fascinating that you can still see in combat robotics. However, what makes it really interesting is that there's the element of luck. There's the arena. You never know what's going to happen. There's things you haven't learned yet, things that can change, like damage accumulation, the competition as a whole, the attrition of the machines, um, and your opponent. You never know who you're going to fight uh, you know, at, at, the, at the time. You know? so the, there's, and, and, of course, let's not forget the, the most important part is the, the human element is that people design these things, people prepare these things, and people drive these things right now anyways. Um, there's the opportunity to for it to be different. The experience always changes. And you know, I actually kind of like that. You know, I I don't know if I did one hundred percent agree that it's like engineering in its purest form. But I feel like I think I would think that as a Rube Goldberg machine instead. Mm. Like a, a machine that exists in its own kind of space that just operates purely with like the engineering and physical properties of like our earth or something mm. like this is engineering. And then some it's a, it's a healthy combination of lots of things, which make it fun. It's a, I think it's a challenge that will sustain itself for a while. And I, you know, Norwalk is doing a great job as well and kind of spicing it up a little bit, you know, the old underground or amateur circuit, whatever you want to call it, 
has been largely rooted into the traditional rules of BattleBots Comedy Central, the old TV show. And Norwalk is trying to spice that up by trying to encourage the non-wheeled robots by giving them some big weight bonuses. Or they're trying to encourage, you know, multi-bots by giving them a big weight bonus. And then they have Brett the Brick, and then they want fire, but they built an arena that can actually handle it, sustain it for many, many fights. They're really trying to mix it up. And, you know, I think that's going to help the sport continue in the long run. You got to have that variety. That's cool. When I when I think of, of you and I think of your robots, I think of reliability. Um, we've seen so many matches where Silent Spring just acrobats all over the box and keeps going for three minutes. And um, I, I'm curious, like, how do you manufacture reliability? How do you think of weight um, when you have three pounds and you are designing for reliability? Um, I feel like there's a lot of builders who say like, oh, I have three pounds. All right, I'm going to put a pound and a half into my my egg beater and um, just see what happens, you know, where that's not the way that you look at the problem. Can you talk about reliability and some of the challenges around reliability at different weight classes? Uh, reliability, in my opinion, uh, is actually more or less the same from 150 grams all the way up to 250 pounds. Uh, what makes a machine reliable is just kind of following a, you know, a few standard rules about what you should or should not do. You can obviously put some numbers to it, but let's say generally speaking, you know, take care of your electronics, take care of your insides, uh, add some sort of shock mounting, something to take the energy out of the big impacts that your robot will see. And that's true for any, any scale. Uh, maybe you see more of them in the, in the bigger weight classes. You know, add foam padding, add shock mounts for your electronics, for your receiver. And the rest of it is really just taking your time. A well-thought-out design, a well-thought-out layout will benefit you in the long run, obviously, because you probably won't, hopefully won't lose to it, but a well-thought-out uh, and well-implemented job at, say, let's say, like, like one of, what's one of the, biggest things that probably plagues people with random shutoffs, uh, soldering, take your time. Mm. If you're going to make a solder joint, prepare everything really well. Don't rush the solder job. And like some people, you know, they kind of paint. I don't know if you've soldered before. They sort of paint the, the solder onto the end or they don't fully tin the wires. So you like a cold joint and then a big shock just separates them. It's like, it's really frustrating. And one of those, internal failures that are harder to diagnose because you probably have it wrapped in tape or something you just kind of like jostle it around a little bit and maybe it turns on you think it's okay put it back in the box and it does the same thing again you know really taking your time making sure you do a good job everything is connected well you know none of your wires are being over constrained and you've padded all your electronics so they're nice and safe when they're bouncing around inside the bot my major things for reliability yeah. yeah take your time um so i i wanted to switch gears and ask about one more thing before we jump to all of our listener questions because there's so many of them um so i was looking through your your page of patents and your inventions and i was really fascinated by this ice cream 3d printer um can you talk about uh like the like how this happened like how this idea came about with with the team um why 
3D print ice cream and kind of the technical challenges that you faced as you started to think about this problem? <laughs> that was a really fun one. Uh, and just to get us started off, to be honest, I, I, I really don't feel like I can take credit for any of that. Uh, the story behind this, when I was, you know, I was at MIT and my research area was additive manufacturing or better known as 3D printing, uh, we had a class that was like it's kind of like a special topics class that was examining 3D printing. And the term project for that was to sort of invent or create some sort of new technology, new material printer sort of thing. And, you know, students took a variety of different stances. Uh, maybe you've seen a little bit of the this MIT glass printer, mm -hmm. like literally a kiln on top of a, a gantry, and it would basically deposit molten glass via like its viscosity and gravity and it's like super cool if you look that up you can find it that was one of the it started as one of the student projects in this class and another one is this ice cream printer um and the i guess the the selling point was or the main motivation is like making additive manufacturing or 3d printing fun and understandable and for you know even kids because it's so much better when you it's, it's like if you can eat it it makes it fun <laughs> yeah it's like yeah 3d printing i love 3d printing i just like ate that star it's like a soft serve ice cream soft serve ice cream being it's actually pretty hard to get for this uh, extrusion based platform because part of it is actually kind of like this aeration this fluff to it that gives it the soft serve like if you just printed ice cream you melt it down, you push like the cream through, I don't know if you have, let's say it's just plain vanilla, so you don't want any nuts or anything. It comes out pretty hard, it's it's pretty dense. But soft serve, part of it, the soft serve is actual fluff. So like, how do you maintain all that? And so I was, uh, I was a teaching assistant, I was like the mentor for that team. And so I, I kind of oversaw what they were doing, but all the technical details was all them so i want to i want to make sure i give them credit for their achievement uh i was there as a, as a mainly advisory role and it was like it was a really fun to be a part of that uh it's kind of built in a freezer there's like the uh they put a 3d printer inside of a freezer and then had this uh soft serve machine on top which funneled it down inside it had to melt it down a little bit so it flowed through the nozzle and then at the very end they had this uh, liquid nitrogen spray to solidify it. It was actually like how you'd have, you'd heat up something like a normal 3D printer and then it would cool down in air with like a little fan. For ice cream, you have to blast it with with nitrogen. And, you know, they demoed the machine. It worked. Uh, it tasted good too. It was pretty awesome. Yeah. I'm really proud of uh, my students there. Um. I guess I guess the logical next question is what can we 3D print that we haven't 3D printed yet? <laughs> you know, like can we make things out of tomato soup and you know, can we make things out of uh I don't know, like can we 3D print wood? Um like what 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 do you what do you think um is on the horizon for 3D printing? Oh man. So actually they can print well the defense how you define wood, because you can print wood pulp mm. something that's processed getting the grain in there which you know, gives it its strength it's really difficult uh, maybe like 
there's there's probably a limit and you know there it also depends on the technique there's so many different versions other than the you know the uh prusa or makerbot extrusion style that is probably the most prevalent in the uh, the maker space world uh, there's so many different types of printing and that's going to limit what you can really do but i think that what's really going to be on the horizon now is some form of bioprinting and you can already see the beginnings of that like actual tissue or organs uh, at least functionally maybe not directly the same stuff but it's happening now yeah like 3d printing a heart maybe in 50 years from now um or a little like or tissue something. graphs like skin graphs or something yeah 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 that's hap that's happening now and um you know wow what a world that we live in right yeah that's really cool all right, let's uh, switch gears and get into all of the Sablaze fan questions. Um, there were so many of them, and they just bounce around everywhere. So I guess just prepare for the uh, questions to go in any direction. So who knows? Um, all right, we're going to start with a couple of technical questions from Copperhead team member Luke Quinn, who asks, many competitors are using VESC brushless speed controllers, but you seem to be using ARC 200 or ARC 200, I'm not sure how you say it. Um, how has your experience been using these uncommon controllers? Our experience has been actually pretty phenomenal. Uh, the ARC 200 uh, made by Free Fly Systems, which is the cinematography company, robotics company, uh, that actually makes a lot of the film gimbal equipment that they film BattleBots with. Ironically, mm. you actually see, if you look up the company, and kind of where they appear, they they appear in most of like the major films these days. They make some really awesome, uh, you know, robotic motion control stuff. So for a while, they had these R two hundred controllers. They're trying to like break into the sort of hobbyist electric vehicle. They use some of these in their. Uh, I don't remember the line of the product, but it's like an RC car for filming. They have they have it in these as well, and. You know, so we decided to give them a try because we, we also know when the engineers that was developing this. So, you know, we know we knew what was in it and we knew it was going to be good because he was working on it. Uh, our experience has been really good because they've have a lot of. Uh, they have a sort of a, a motor setup. Um, sort of sequence, so you can plug in your brushless motor, it'll do a bunch of self tests to figure out all the parameters. And it gives you a bunch of easy set, um, say, configurations that you could choose from. And then you actually have the ability to to modulate them based on furthermore, if you want to, to modify them. And it shows you also the plots. Like if you, if you kind of know what you're looking at, you can use that information to further optimize your system and get, in our case, the most performance you could possibly get with you know, some safety margin. Uh, they're also, you know, pretty intelligent in that uh, there's lots of different ways to control it. We use the PWM style that you would find in a lot of RC. Uh, there's sensor control as well. So they support sensors, which is important for brushless that we found, as you need that to really push the limits and get the most response that you can out of the motors. Um, it's tiny and they're also very safe. They protect themselves very well. See, like I, I think that you see a lot of early brushless motor controllers sort of self-dentonate because they they push themselves too hard. Uh, I mean, 
like uh, watching Charles do his early development on his motor controllers at MIT, like we, well, not his specifically, but what he was trying in SADBOT. Yeah, we went through a, a lot of them. Uh, these, we have had flawless performance. We've not been able to kill one of these in our testing. So mm -hmm. very happy with the reliability of these, of these controllers. And maybe perhaps something that we'll use a little bit more in the future is the uh, field-oriented control, I think is becoming more popular. Luke has a uh, follow-up question. Uh, Sablaze is sponsored by Harmonic Drive. Does Sablaze actually use a harmonic gearbox for its drive? If so, what are the benefits? Well, Sob uh, Harmonic Drive, they are best known for their Harmonic Drive gearboxes. However, they do make a variety of other gearboxes and uh, drivetrain-related components, such as their helical uh, planetary gear sets which is what we use in um, both our ARM and our drive. We use two different uh, product lines, the HVGP series for the drivetrain and the HVN-L for the ARM. Uh, visit their website, harmonicdrive.net to learn more about each one of those. But uh, talk more about the benefits of the harmonic drive specifically, you can get really high reduction rates in a very small package and if, you wanted to, which is more popular in like robotic arms and uh, you know places that are doing uh, finer robotic control, zero backlash because of the uh, strain wave mechanism. So, uh, you know, folks like NASA JPL will use these things because you know Mars rover needs to be very precise, uh, not a lot of weight, and you know, it's got to be very compact. I think Hypershock. It, is using uh or they used a harmonic drive on their lifter and they when they bought off ebay so maybe we should ask them how what their thoughts are on the an actual harmonic drive harmonic drive style mm. gearbox yeah mike shopkovich jr aka mr psycho on youtube asks how does sablaze get so much drive power what motors and such are in there definitely just curious not doing research for my own designs i am personally suspicious of this uh because i suspect mike may be applying to BattleBots uh, for 2021 um but uh but yeah can can you talk about drive power yeah i, I see you mr psycho i know you've got super collider in the background <laughs> He's going to revamp that Super Collider 2. Uh, our drivetrain, yeah, I, you know, it's definitely one of the uh, most powerful in the field. I used to, used to be able to think that it's the most powerful, but I think that there's a lot of robots now that, you know, like Claw Viper, for example, which are definitely, definitely putting in the, uh, the, the big torque there. Uh, we use the R200s for our drive controllers. Uh, and our motors are from Revolt RV100E. And it's been a bulletproof drive system. Uh, you know, aside from our own faults of having connectors pop out, it's been absolutely, absolutely awesome. We can't even stall the motors pushing against the wall. So an opponent on top of us is no sweat to the robot at all. Even with the current limit from the controllers, like the motor has more than enough uh, thermal bandwidth to really keep going for the entire minute, uh, three minutes. Mm, we have a question here from Matthew Cahoy about weight. And Matthew asks, hammer saw blades is far more destructive than the saw blade version from what I can tell. Where, where were you able to save weight to give the weapon more knockout power? Yeah, so 
the big change where we implemented the the hammer saw was between 2018 and 2019 and maybe it's less obvious to see without putting the two robots side by side but 2019 saw blades and 2020 for that matter is basically a foot less wide it's mm. much smaller uh, a lot of that change was dictated by the switch from brush to brushless so in the 2018 season we used two uh, npc black max motors made it to our harmonic drive gearboxes uh which despite the harmonic drive planetary gearboxes being pretty small the black maxes were massive they're they're long they're heavy they're about maybe like 15 pounds each just in the motor wow and these new motors the brushless setup uh and the controllers are just that much smaller i'd say they're about they're both about two-thirds the size uh, that allows us to bring the chassis in. The motors themselves weigh less. Each one of those motors weighs maybe like eight and a half pounds. So all that weight that we save is going to go into the armor uh, and to the, the new blade. You know, aside from changing the components, making it smaller, the robot slightly more compact, you can spend your weight more efficiently as well. Mm. Alexander Archer asks, uh, can you tell us a little bit more about the similarities and differences between Sables and Scorpios, who both have somewhat similar designs? Oh, I got to be careful how I answer this one. Zach and I talked a little bit about this as well. Because they're like, you know, our fans are asking us this question a lot. Yeah, believe it or not, we you know Scorpios and Sables do talk. Like, you know, we're, we're brothers in Saw, not mortal enemies. Uh, <laughs> So I think what we agreed on, we, we're both very, we're both pretty powerful. I think the thing that would probably differentiate us is Scorpios is uh, more durable. I think, I think uh, like if you were to look at those video game like stats bars, mm. sort of thing, uh, Sawblaze may have like a little bit more in the like the offense category, but Scorpios would have more in the defense category because like their whole chassis is like tough welded steel. Ours is a little bit more uh, like selective in where we put it. So we have some pretty big weak points uh, as Uppercut showed. I think that's really the main difference is mm. that they're, they're, they have more defense and durability. Mm. Um, this is maybe more of a question for you as a fan of combat robotics. Uh, you're often called one of the best drivers in the sport, but in your opinion, who is the best driver in the sport? Oh, hands down, Matt Vasquez. Is the really? Best driver. Yes. Uh, I appreciate every single, I mean, having built a lot of different types of robots, I appreciate, you know, the skills of every single driver. I recognize what they're doing when they do it because I've been there. Um, but, you know, there's something about trying to, in, in the heat of battle, maneuvering to find that good spot. And, you know, this, despite maybe a disadvantage in one way or another, may, being able to find it, stick onto it. And then what he does with the lifter in, in the moment, I think it's just absolutely fantastic. Like, I, I, I watch, like I was saying earlier, I watch him fight and I say, man, I wish I could do that. And it's just got to be Matt Vasquez. Yeah. 
Robert Holmes has kind of like a big picture question, just kind of like generally about Sawblaze. Uh, what was the concept behind Sawblaze to make it the awesome bot that it is? Whose idea was it to add a juiced up circular saw to a bot that spits fire? Smiley face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man, this is this goes all the way back to see. Well, he goes even farther back than that, but you know back when we were thinking about applying uh, with Sawblaze for BattleBots in Season 2, you know, the, the ABC era, there definitely was a big push for the diversity of robots. And I think that had a large part into picking what design that we had uh, for the show, is that there weren't any Sawbots in Season 1 of ABC. And to further distinguish ourselves you know, sawbots with flamethrowers and a flamethrower, which was green. We had a lot of things going for us in the unique category. But uh, let's look back at the original inspiration. Uh, was kind of, This was kind of my, my proposal uh, in our team. We all put forth a bunch of different ideas. And we felt this one had the biggest chance of being accepted. But it was also near and dear to my heart just because uh, when I was inspired by BattleBots back in the day, Season 5 SOB, the original dustpan saw bot uh, that really kind of made made the the, the technique popular. Uh, it was my original inspiration, and my first robot was that I competed with in 2004 was designed around that machine. So here's a chance to bring this sort of lost art of the uh, capture saw back into BattleBots. And, you know, we decided like, okay, we can make this work. My team was, uh, they had faith in my ability to kind of control a machine like this and the, the slew of spinners. And, you know, we're doing a pretty good job, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got a question from Ryan Hunter who asks, are there any other bot designs that you would like to make into a 250 pound heavyweight? Oh, there are so many different designs. Uh, probably one that you guys are thinking would be like the most obvious I'd like to turn into one is uh, actually a Silent Spring-esque robot, mm. maybe specifically on the undercutter, just because the modular game, I think, is would be really challenging and mostly expensive on the 250-pound weight scale. But, you know, you know I, I think that uh, my team would agree with me when they say, maybe we'd want to try to to build a spinner at least once on BattleBots. Uh, but right now we're very happy with, with Sawblaze, how it's doing, you know, the kind of reception that it gets with the with the fans. And so, you know, it's it's tough being a control bot, but we're innovating. We're figuring out ways to play the game. We I mean you can't just get beaten up all the time. We need to find ways to succeed. So it's a good challenge for us as well. Sawblaze is just so exciting to watch. You know that every single time that you're going to go into the box, you're going to see something cool. Um, and that's not necessarily what you can say about every single spinner. I mean, like there are definitely a spinner on spinner match where you go in and you're like, I will not remember this in three weeks from now, but I am going to remember a Sawblaze fight at the end of the season. So like, that's, that's pretty neat. Um, we, we do have a fan uh, question here from Sumi Shik, who has a uh, design idea and wants to run it by you. Uh, Sumi asks, have you ever thought about a giant snake design for a robot? Is there a way to make it work in the ring? Giant snake. Yeah. Ooh. 
like uh like Mark Satrakin's old snake, or are you thinking like new age snake, like uh Smee, but driving along in the, the long direction? Yeah. Who knows? I mean Sumi knows. He's he's got an idea, but <laughs> what what do you think about a snake uh snake concept for a heavyweight? I think it's got some merit. I mean, just because you know you look at all these designs and thinking about the strategy of these different machines they're very much directed at going forward and whatever they do, it's in the forward direction. Um, and especially like the ground game, for example, usually the one that wins the ground game just has to pivot in the center and then you can more or less take control of the fight. Mm. So something that can wrap around or hit from the side, like actually Smee from this season, I think is with the spinners on the side is a brilliant concept and i really hope that joe sticks with it and i want to see what he comes up with in the next season but you know if the snake can wrap around uh the opponent do something from the side or at the back you know you can't defend against everything i think it really has some promise uh, another robot which was unfortunately unable to attend this year because of covid i think it was called frosty has that mm -hmm. turreted horizontal spinner i thought was really cool as well we have a question from Cameron Hutton who asks, are there any rematches you'd like to see on your schedule in the future? I know you talked a little bit about a possible rematch which, with, with Whiplash. Um, stay awesome, man. Sawblaze is my absolute favorite and you're one of my favorite builders. Slash and burn. Uh, fire emoji, dragon emoji. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, Whiplash, uh, sorry, rematches on our schedule. Uh, there's a whole bunch of bots. If you look at the round of 32 on the left side and you know, we'd like to fight them again for sure, but like looking at more immediate opponents, uh, Witch Doctor is very close to us on our on our branch. So, you know, talking about all the improvements that we've made being motivated by our loss to Witch Doctor, I think it'd be super cool if we had the chance to see if they worked in fighting them again. Uh, speaking of Whiplash, uh, we have a final question here from Whiplash team mom, Debbie Vasquez, who I feel like is probably the only listener who could send in this question and uh, get away with it. Uh, she asks, when are you going to propose to Lucy? Hashtag. <laughs> oh, and did you get the bill I sent you for Whiplash repairs after our fight? Winky face. Uh, <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, so. Well, I mean, I can't answer that what if lucy is going to listen to this podcast she'll know <laughs> she'll know my plan i will say that a large like a large part of uh what we've been waiting for is uh lucy is currently in the middle of her doctorate so she just took her qualifying exams uh, which is a big deal at mit it's like this really grueling stressful exam where you have to take some subject matter stuff solve things on a chalkboard you know, have professors stare at you. And then you also have to present a portion of your research progress, which after she worked at JPL, she could come back and basically start a new project. Um, some people who go straight from their, their master's to doctorate have that body of work already started. So she did a lot in not a lot of time while doing battle bots. Uh, so uh, join me in congratulating Lucy for passing quals. Yeah, she's officially a doctoral candidate. That's amazing. Congratulations. Lucy That's... says thank you, I think. She's saying <laughs> thank you. She's in between bites. <laughs> 
Um, well, I, I would say that this is hashtag couple goals for sure. Um, I, I can only imagine the types of engineering conversations that the two of you have um, over lunch or, or dinner. Um, and uh, I would I would just, I don't know. I just think it's it's really, really cool. Um, any, any, anybody else that you want to kind of give a shout out to before we, uh, before we let you go? Yeah. Uh, one, I do want to give a shout out to pain train team captain Evan for his, uh, extremely thoughtful act of, uh, bringing the rusty top piece to Norwalk for us to, to sign, make it special, save it, send it back to Dave, uh, all on his own dime on his own time. He just thought it'd be super cool and it would make, make the part really special. Uh, one man's trash, another man's treasure, I guess. And, you know, he just went the extra mile. So I want to thank him for being super awesome uh, in the BattleBots community. We made a post about it yesterday, Valentine's Day. So mm. Read all about it and see the pictures. Uh, also goes without saying, but we must say it. I think we, we absolutely must say it. Thank, big thank you to our sponsors for this season for making Sawblaze happen. Otherwise, we would not be able to, you know, frankly, would not be able to be there all the closures our ability to shops um so just want to give a thanks to Faulkner metals solidworks harmonic drive cutter's edge max amps center for manufacturing of technology uh, southwest plastics desktop metal free fly systems that's so cool. Um, Jama, it's always such such a, a pleasure and a delight for us to talk to you. So thanks again for investing so much time in us um, today. Uh, we're really, really excited to see Sawblaze in the Battle Box again soon. So best of luck on your championship run. Thank you very much. Uh, I believe we also hope we go all the way. After the break, we'll return with this week's installment of Robots Around the World. Welcome back from the break. Time for robots around the world. This week we're heading to the UK where a robotic startup called the Small Robot Company is making a pair of robots designed to find and kill weeds using computer vision and electrocution. The first robot is about six feet long and weighs about 330 pounds and is capable of autonomously traveling through a 50-acre field every day using cameras to look at every plant, identifying which plants look like dangerous weeds. A second, spider-shaped robot follows closely behind with an electrical wand that zaps the weeds instantly. In a 12-month field trial, the two robots helped one farm cut down its use of pesticides by 41%. Now, this is a robot that I can really get behind. I think this is uh, robotics for a greater good. I don't have a very large garden, but we have, a, you know, several raised beds in our backyard. Um, and, man, no matter how much mulch you put down, no matter how on top of it you try to be, the weeds just keep coming back. So I imagine a 50 acre field where, you know, you're, you're planting, um, man, that would be a full-time job in itself. So this is really, really neat. And I would like to have this robot, although I don't love the idea of a small robotic spider, uh, following me around. Well, that's about it for us today. We'll be back in your feed next Wednesday with another mystery guest. We'll see you then folks. Thanks for Bye. hanging in there. Bye. 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 <laughs>